This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex. Yeah, Shane? Let's get into this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree Podcast, episode 67. We made it. It's the new year. (laughs) It's 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. And thanks for sticking it out through 2020. And I hope that whatever you did, however you celebrated, you had an amazing time. You made the best of it. And how we celebrated was by destroying our bodies for 10 days straight. Or should I just speak for myself here? No. Oh, I am feeling it. I am exhausted. I have bags under my eyes that go up until my neck. This is the first time I've ever seen you with bags under your eyes get out of here i swear it's the most tired i've ever seen you and i'm so surprised that you're doing the pod right now because i said let's not do it because you looked unwell (laughs) (laughs) you know i feel unwell but i was excited to podcast like i'm excited to record the first episode of the year and as crappy as i feel this is making me a little bit happy right now But I I do feel terrible. And Shane, like, I'm going to need your help when this is over. I'm feeling kind of achy, you know, so I'm just going to need like a little neck rub or something. Do you think this is because that we treat ourselves so poorly leading up till New Year's Eve? Mm -hmm. Like, would you, do you think it's better to do that? Like, I think everyone needs some, a break of some sort and to do something different before New Year's. But would it be better, you think, if it was like a spa retreat where you're just like relaxing? Like for Christmas? Yeah. Instead of Christmas, doing the traditional thing, which is you destroy your body (laughs) and with alcohol and food and you stuff yourself. And, you know, it is a fun time and where you can let loose. But would it be better and more beneficial and relaxing if you just drank water and chilled out and meditated or something? Yeah, obviously it would be more beneficial for Sorry your for the body. dumb question. Okay, I'll leave now. <laughs> obviously, I think it would be Just better. Just trying to start a combo, in Alex. In the long run. But, I mean, hell, I look forward to the Christmas month all year long. And the second it starts approaching, I get so excited because it is so much fun. And I do love sitting and drinking and eating with my family, with friends when it's not COVID. And it's, it's so much fun, and I think mentally, for my mental well-being anyway, it is, so well, it is so worth it because I think all month I've been like, I don't know, eating 20 chocolates a day, like actually 20 chocolates a day, and I felt great up until tonight. So I'd say that's a good, that's a good trade-off. I guess the question is, would you actually enjoy it more? No. No, no, no. I would hate, I would hate it. Would you? Yeah, I think you're right. yeah no you're right it was a dumb question i shouldn't have brought it up anyway who do we have on the show today we've got a great show so we have emily oster if you have given birth in the last five years you might recognize the name she is emily oster who is a brown university economist and the author of the hugely successful expecting better and crib sheet so she talks about you know 
anything relating to pregnancy. It's a guide based on stats that she researches and analyzes and that kind of brings to you in you know like a fun easy to read way but fascinating fascinating stuff yeah she's good she's very smart she had a great economy of words and i'm not just saying that (laughs) because she's an economist which over zoom for anyone who's done it it can be such a tricky balance to talk to someone and the interjections are way tougher than in real life so uh she really helped us out by doing all the answers the perfect length she's she's a total bro and i know you will get so much out of our conversation with her next up another conversation you are going to get a lot from we have bob govro of govro and associates he is a cpa a strategist and a financial coach and he is also the author of the wealthy entrepreneur Plus, Shane, he was an associate of Tony Robbins. I know, and I was a big Tony Robbins guy back in the day. Yeah, no, he's a huge deal. He knows a lot to do with taxes. He talks about Canadian taxes. A little while ago, we had on Tyler McBroom, who was an American CPA. But Canadian friends, if you want tips, if you want to what make sure... What is CPA stand Certified personal accountant. Oh. So if you want to save money on your taxes, you want to make sure you're doing everything right, stick around for that interview because uh, you will learn a lot. We did. I feel like this man changed our life in some way, or he's going to. We'll he's see. going to. I we'll hope. see on our taxes. Like, <laughs> do you want a tax return? Do you not? McBroom, Tyler McBroom, when we had him on, he said you don't want a tax return. Bob had something to say about that, though, which made me think, oh, maybe I do want a tax return. No, it's all over the place, but check out his take and decide for yourself if you want a tax return or not. But Shane, tax returns aside, cheers, babe. Happy hey, New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. What are we drinking here, Alex? All right. We just did a cheers. So after just going heavy, heavy, heavy for you know an entire month, we're just sticking. We've had Seedlip, Spice 94, and Eggnog for like four weeks straight. We're bringing it back to the basics. We have Garden 108, Tonic, and a dehydrated piece of orange popped in there. It's, and it's delicious. It's fresh. It's good for you. I'd like to think so. Yeah, well, it's definitely not bad for you, I'll tell you that much, especially the way we've been living. And this was so darn refreshing. Uh, I have to tell the truth. I had a sip of this what? while you were doing... You saw me. No, I didn't. Yeah, while you were doing your intro, I had a sip. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. I okay. was in the zone. Well, it's not interesting anyway, but it, I, I, had a, <laughs> I just had a sip of the drink because normally we like to give our real reaction, but I was like, whoa, I miss this so much. So Christmas... Uh, you won this year's Christmas. I wanted to congratulate you. Thank you. I'm you bowing. You got better gifts. You spent more money. I got AirPods. I'm wearing Patagonia stuff. I got my Iverson shoes I've wanted since I was a kid. I did have them when I was 13, but I've wanted them again ever since. You made my dreams come true in that regard. So I'm very happy. But I wanted to ask you, does it feel better or worse Now that we're adults sharing a bank account (laughs) when it comes to getting Christmas (laughs) gifts. You know what I mean? Because it's like the money that I'm spending on you is your money. Yeah. Well, you know, so I typically in the past, you and I like we'll get each other gifts. But so many times we've said, well, let's do an experience rather than lots of gifts. And that's what we've done. And in any relationships I've had in the past, we haven't really been big gift givers. But... We have worked our asses off this year and it's been such a different year as it is. And, you know, there's been so much we've had to go through and put up with. So I have so much we've refrained from doing or abstained, like not by our choice, but because it's been mandated 
And uh, even if it wasn't, we wouldn't want to do anything else. No, that's the thing. And it's like, you know what? Give me one weekend, one weekend out on the town with you. And, you know, we're not doing that. So there's your shoes that I got you, your Iverson shoes. And it's like, you know, do one getaway in a weekend for a hotel in the summertime. And there's the rest of your gifts. And for me, it was so easy to justify everything. And I had such a great time doing it. And in my mind, I was just like, oh man, Shane's going to have all these awesome clothes. Even though we're not going out, our home is going to be like that much cooler. And it's going to be like a little mini comfortable fashion show every day. But were you disappointed in the gifts I got you? And the reason I'm asking is because every time I say that you won Christmas, there's never an argument that transpires. It's just, yeah, I did. Because <laughs> I'm you... so proud of myself. Oh, okay. I, to me, I take it as I'm not happy with my gifts. That my Oh, my God. You, okay, you know that's like, I am thrilled. And here's the thing. There's nothing more that I could even want. Like, I have, you went so above and beyond as it is. There's nothing else I could want. I just like, you know, having spoiled you. But the question was, is it better or worse, sharing a bank account in terms of that Christmas feeling? I have my answer. What is yours? No, I don't think it does, to be honest. Now, keep oh. in mind, only two potential answers. This isn't a both thing. <laughs> is it better or worse? Is the Can question. I say it's neither? It's the no. same. It's the same. No, okay, fine. I'll, I'll begin with my answer. You can mull yours over. To me, it's better. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I feel guilty now that we share a bank account and have children. Making a purchase for myself, mm-hmm. especially anything over $100, I'm just riddled with guilt. I'm sweating bullets. I want to return it once it arrives. But, see, now, now, now you're cutting <laughs> well, into my answer. <laughs> I knew I would sway you. But now you giving me all this stuff that I wanted, yeah. some of the stuff I told you to get and the other stuff I didn't, you got me better stuff than I could even dream up. It just feels like a get out of jail free card or a, hey, relax, this is allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me feel so much better about Wearing the shoes, I can, you know, I, I don't have to hide my stuff. Not that I would, not that I would do that. I like the world in which you're trying to hide your new sneakers. Well, sometimes you hear about men or women <laughs> buying something covertly and then sheepishly wearing it, hoping. Yeah. Like, you know, sometimes you'll buy something and I'll be like, how much was that? And it's like, I don't care, but I, it oh. is weird. No, it is. And it, it is such an uncomfortable feeling. And like Shane, I hate buying stuff for myself. Like I barely even shop unless I really need something just because, yeah, we have two kids. There are more important things to buy, you know, than clothes for ourselves. So when I opened up my super uh, beautiful pajamas that I've been wanting for for like two years, they're from Sleeper. Check that company out. They're really gorgeous. Shane got me the dress I wanted from them. And like that is not something in a million years that in a million years that I would ever buy for myself and it's my favorite article of clothing now and it's just it's so special and honestly it does it does make it so special because it's like hey we deserve treats too we deserve to get you know to work hard for the things that we want too and doing that together and out of the same bank account now that I'm thinking like that it is it's almost more celebratory and it's like we're celebrating every gift together and it's like we can both take pride in everything i like that i'm glad you have an opinion on this and (laughs) (laughs) such a long-winded thoughtful opinion all of a sudden comes out of nowhere no i like that answer you inspired me you're welcome but i also want what no go ahead what were you gonna do you just (laughs) for the people at home alex just lunged at me with her 
right? What was that, right hook? What are you doing? I was going to say something. Oh, do it. Animatedly. Do it. So how was your Christmas holiday, babe? Had a great vacation house. (laughs) I'm going to continue on what I was saying. I thought it was going to be a little bit more interesting. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I had a great time, obviously. Loved the vacation. Loved taking the pedal off the gas. But like we were saying, there comes a point in a vacation where just at the end, if you take that extra day, Mm -hmm. the relaxation can go into stress because then you start feeling a little bit behind. So I think we pulled the shoot on the vacation at the perfect time. Oh, it was it was ideal. Any less and I would not have felt like I got enough and I'd be like lamenting lost vacation time. But as it is, if we had pushed it one more day, I'd be I'd be losing it, I'd be too tired, I'd be like way too just probably sick and bloated and my my what do you call it? My eye bags would like you know, hang as low as my boobs currently are. So You still look great, but I wanted to talk about our pillow presents and i mean that like i know your family actually does a thing called pillow presents where at the end of the night before you go to bed there's one more present but i wanted to talk about our present for pillow presents was supposed to be pillows Mm -hmm. however instead of actually getting the pillows that we had been looking forward to we got a gift certificate for any it was cash (laughs) it was for to your parents just said hey get your own pillow yeah choose it, the one that you want get it yourself and our dream was to get the sheridan pillows that they have when so you're at sheridan hotels i don't know if you're canadian or not or if the sheridan's in the they're states, in the states too. too yeah but their their beds are so comfortable like their beds are among the most comfortable beds i've ever slept on and just falling back into one is probably the most luxurious feeling so i was all on board i'm like yes let's get the sheridan we were we we're actually planning on getting like the sheridan duvet like building it piece by piece until mm-hmm. we eventually just had a sheridan bed but we're starting with the pillows and then you all of a sudden got an idea why don't i buy the <laughs> a little bit more expensive than the sheridan pillows but the reviews are slightly better i'm no. like okay but we're after the sheridan pillows you're like oh it's gonna be better long story short the pillows arrived today and it's like I don't know if they're you got, too soft. Yeah, like your head. There's no neck support, whatever. Like you put your head in, and it's just the the sides of the pillow engulf you, and you <laughs> like it almost cuts off your breathing. So okay, I ended up getting pillows from Brooklinen, and here's the thing: I did so much research into down pillows, and you know what we wanted, like hours and hours of research. It was ridiculous, and. Every list, every review that I kept coming across that had like, oh, the 10 best down pillows always listed Brooklinen. So went with those. They have like three different types of firmness. So I went with Mega Plush. But yeah, you put your head down and it sinks right to the bottom. So there's like a millimeter of fabric between you and your mattress. So my question for you is if we're after the Sheridan pillow, well, I thought it was better. The Sheridan experience. Why wouldn't you go with the devil you know? Because I thought it was going to be the Sheridan experience and then some. Like, I thought it was going to be just better. Okay. But you know what? Okay, this company, great company, Brooklinen. So they give you 365 days, so a full year, to sleep on the pillows and decide if you like them or not. And then you could send them back in any condition and for no reason. Well, they know returning something's very annoying. And the longer it's with you, the less likely you are to be like, okay, let's ship it back. So what do you think is a good amount of time for us to make a solid decision? One week of sleeping on them? Sure, one week. But after one minute, you could tell that that one wasn't Mm. right. 
give it a try. Give it a week. We'll give it a week. You're probably right. I, I'm going to say you're 98% chance that you're right. But let's give it the week and we'll talk about it on the next podcast. Yeah. I just think in the future we we can learn a lesson from this. That if you're after something, don't try to go for a little bit better. Because even if there is a 30% chance that that pillow right. is better, it's just going to be a scooch better. And you don't have any anxiety. There's no huge surprise. You just get to look forward to the pillow you'll want if you know the pillow you're going to get is a Sheridan pillow. No, I hear you. But I hear it ruined you. the whole experience. Oh, I'm sorry. Because I ruined your pillow experience. Uh, but it brings me to my next topic, which is New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. I had that too. So one of mine is no more little fights. I'm going to try to get rid of these little fights that we have. We had a fight over the pillow today. It was actually not even a fight. You thought I was upset. I thought you were upset with my pillow choice, which you kind of were as you're discussing right now on this podcast. No, but like joke upset, like, oh, I'm going to make this a thing to talk about on the pod isn't a real upsetting right. thing for me. But we did have a dish fight. And the dish fight I do consider to be a real argument. And what the dish fight entailed is, listen, okay, <laughs> I have a pet peeve. And this is a lot of moms have this issue with dishes. And I grew up with a mom like this. But it is a little bit of a pet peeve for me mm-hmm. in the sense that there's these dishes that if they get chipped, someone's going to be upset. There's an attachment to a dish. And I like my dishes to be breakable. So what I mean is I don't want to break a dish. But if a dish breaks, I don't give a shit. Let's throw out the dish and let's get a new one. Let's not be angry that the dish broke. Let's not be like, oh, that's my favorite dish. Let's not do anything. Let's just live our lives and be happy and just get something else and put it on the plate, the bowl, the spoon, whatever. We have these dishes in our house that got a chip. And you came up to me and you said, Shane, let's try really hard not to chip these dishes. I'm like, one, never trying to chip a dish. Always trying to avoid chipping mm, a dish. Avoid chipping. Oh, avoid dropping. Avoid anything. <laughs> but if it does happen, I don't care. I'll laugh if I drop a dish. I'm like, whoops, let's sweep this up. Anyway, we, we've gotten into this argument. I'm just like, I just won't use the dish anymore because I don't want to upset you. Mm-hmm. You didn't like that. I want everybody to enjoy these dishes. They're gorgeous. Cut to today. Lucy is eating out of this bowl. And yeah, it has a chip on it. And I'm like, uh-oh. Maybe we should just throw this bowl out because a child's eating out of it. Maybe she could get hurt. It's chipped. And you went, no, I don't want to. I won't feed Lucy out of it. I'm not going to be licking the sides of the bowl where the chip but is. Why have like a bowl glass with the chip on it? Out. It's way too fancy. It's like a bowl my grandma thing, would have. It's not fancy. It's not fancy. These bowls and plates are from Urban Barn. They were not that expensive. They just have really cute patterns on them, and I really like them. They remind me of a happy time. I got them when we were married. And not as like a big, this is your marriage China like It feels gift. that way though. It's not. It's just stuff that I like and it makes me feel happy. Gosh darn, I want to be happy when I'm eating my cereal out of those massive bowls in the morning. And they're so big. They're so perfect. I like but, them, okay? But can it be both where you like the bowl and if the bowl breaks, you're going to be fine with I'll it? I'll be fine. I can replace it. They still sell the same ones because they're bestsellers. How come when the bowl got a chip in it, you acted like we got to be so careful because with these bowls? Because I think that sometimes people can be a little heavy-handed in the dishwasher. So I'm just saying, don't be heavy-handed in the dishwasher. You think I'm more clumsy than you? I'm not I'm not playing a blame game. I'm saying myself included, we could be a little more gentle with our dishwashing stuff. Okay. To me it just takes away happiness. Wait, wait, 
point is, sorry, I don't want to argue. This argument, I don't want to have anymore in real life. I don't want to have the like more friendly version of the argument on the podcast. I want to be totally happy and not sweat the small stuff because as the book says, it's all small stuff. So wait, so how do we go about doing that? Just, it's great It's up to, to me. It's up to me. It's not even up to you. It's up to me because a lot of stuff is how you react to it. I tend to be the person who reacts to things more poorly than you. I just hold on to them. For you a hold on. Time. You're you're actually worse than me, but your way of being worse. Oh, is... now we're playing blame games. No, no. I'm just saying your reaction pass... change. You're... I at least when I'm reacting, I'm honest. The passive aggressive behavior is very criminal mm. to me. Okay, yeah. So that's one of them. Also, weed. I don't want to smoke weed anymore. On this trip that we've been taking, I noticed I got a massive migraine on this trip after I smoked mm-hmm. weed on one of the nights. So for those that are popping in now, Shane has really Who's bad... popping in on a podcast? You can just rewind no, it. No, no, no. Like, for, if this is their first podcast listening. Oh, They're popping in for episode 67. Gotcha. Shane has really bad insomnia, and he's been trying so many different things to help him out with his sleeping, and he tried CBD, didn't work. So now he's tried a few times, like, actually smoking a little bit of weed before bed. Well, even with the CBD, that we got the kind that had a little bit of THC, just a trace amount. And I noticed every morning I woke up with a tinge of a headache. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, is this the CBD? Is this the THC? And I remember in my younger days I would smoke and I would get a crazy weed hangover. And some of my friends, that is would, so weird. Some of my friends would be like, ah, that's not possible. But on this trip, you and I go drink for drink. Mm-hmm. I'm larger than you so it's a usually a safe thing to do for me because i know if you if i drink the exact same amount as you i'm always going to feel a little bit better than you yeah anyway we have a night where we're having a great time and then we wake up and it's like a bus hit me and you're jumping around like mary poppins (laughs) i'm like why am i terribly ruined and Alex is so fine and chipper it's because i smoked a bit of weed shit like barely you had like two little puffs well no i puffed a lot i puffed a lot (laughs) (laughs) and i was ruined you were in bad shape it was i I can't even describe it so i i don't want to touch weed anymore i think my body rejects it i'm allergic Mm. to it if that's a thing so i'm going to stay away from weed i don't know if if anyone else is like this can you please message me if this is a thing Um, yeah i'm curious if you can have an allergy in that sense to it okay um Less caffeine is my next one. I'm going to try to keep it to one or two cups of coffee a day. One cup of coffee a day sounds crazy to me and something I don't even, I can't fathom and don't want to fathom because I enjoy, even if I only have one in the morning, I enjoy the second one, you know, around lunchtime just for that afternoon perk and for a little reconnection. It's like five minutes of me time again. Well, I said one or two. So Mm -hmm. If I'm saying I'm cutting it back to one or two, that means I'm usually having three or four a day and sneaking into Diet Coke. And I really don't think that's healthy, especially considering I have insomnia. And with the Diet Coke, all that aspartame. Yes. I don't know what that does. People say it causes cancer. cancer. Yeah. I want more reading I want to do. And I, that's a little misleading because that implies I've done some reading. Uh, so <laughs> I want to do some 
reading. We have these reading nights. We try to read. Thursdays are supposed to be reading nights. Yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do it though. We don't do anything we say. We're bad at follow through, but we really have great intentions, folks. So I have books that I have like I have like a 120 page book that I've been trying to read since I had Betty. I'm three quarters of the way through and I can't finish it. I just can't finish it. I can't find the time. I'm always too tired. It's like it's it's brutal. What's the book? I have the huge one. What's it called? Infinite Jest. Yes. I have <laughs> Infinite Jest. What a poser loser am I that I if people know David Foster <laughs> Wallace uh, he was famous writer and he wrote one apparently one of the most brilliant works of our time and I thought I'd be cool and get it and I thought I could breeze through it but I haven't even opened the cover but I guess it does look cool if if company comes over well now's our time babe yeah so if I can read that 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 would really make my day and I had flossing on the list mm. everyone's always saying you should floss for your teeth but I looked it up and it's not even a proven thing that flossing no works i looked it up i went to all these dental associations and uh, i don't believe my dentist is like even almost says here i'm gonna read you an article okay okay Okay. the american dental association started promoting flossing in 1908 a dentist in america levi spear parmley invented flossing in the early 1800s the first floss was patented in 1874 by which time dentists were recommending the practice currently in the u.s studies which evaluate the benefits of flossing can be funded and directed by flossing manufacturers two major floss producers procter and gamble and johnson and johnson have both said flossing helps to remove plaque but ap revealed that evidence used in procter and gamble's statement was discredited in 2011 and johnson and johnson declined to respond to the news agency after being shown research that refuted their claims okay is flossing harmful if done improperly, flossing can cause damage to gums, teeth, and dental work, according to the AP investigation. Sometimes flossing can also cause harmful bacteria to be released into your bloodstream, what? which could lead to an infection. So, should you floss? U.S. National Institutes of Health dentist Tim LaFola said, when purely looking at the science, it would be appropriate to drop the floss guidelines. But he also said people should still floss. It's low risk, low cost. We know there's a possibility that it works. So we feel comfortable telling people to go ahead and do it. And the more you look up flossing, the more it seems to be a myth that it works. They don't know if it does. They don't know if it doesn't. But all these companies keep funding these studies that produce the dental floss. But see, that's bizarre to me because, you know, like when I floss, like, come on, I will pull out something, right? Especially depending on what I eat. Something's going to come out of there. And I'm like, oh, man, like I would never have gotten this had I not flossed. So I can't see that happening because like if you had a piece you just say you eat like a steak right you get one little tiny piece stuck back there in your molars you don't even know it's there you don't floss it out but it's sitting there and then it starts decaying like that's gotta have an impact on your mouth health well apparently you can cause some gum cuttage and get some bacteria in there before you know it you're toothless yeah you can do that by biting your lip too i'm sure well i'd like to see that study and how many people are biting their lip to the point where their gums get infected i want to see how many people are infecting their bloodstreams through flossing you should see me it looks like (laughs) it looks like a massacre in my sink after i floss Yeah, but that's because you do it irregularly your gums learn how to deal with it and then your gums get healthier i don't know my dentist goes ape for flossing dentist dr grover loves flossing Okay, last last topic. Alex is writing a book, everybody. <laughs> Alex is writing a book. I repeat. I didn't. I, didn't, I wasn't going to bring that up. I didn't. It's my topic section. Oh, jeez. So Alex is writing a book. 
You're putting and the pressure on. This is intentional. It's your dream to be a novelist. And we're going to make dreams come true this year. Let's hold Alex accountable. Jesus. I won't be mentioning it again until New Year's Eve 2021. <laughs> 2022. No, New Year's Eve 2021 is when I'm going to mention it again. Yeah, but isn't, don't you call that New Year's, New Year's Eve 2022? No, I call it New Year's Day 2022. I guess I'll bring it up then. All right. But New Year's Eve is still in 2021. Do you think it's going to happen? If it was just you to your own devices, no. (laughs) I make your dreams come true (laughs) against your will. Because Alex loves the fun part where you're just making the buttons and the website and the ideation, which admittedly, it is the funnest part. But I always say, Alex, do you really want to make this happen? You go, I do. I do. And this is like usually <laughs> nice like, impression. well, this is when you're crying. After, I do. Well, after you're considering giving up. This right. is like three weeks after the excitement's worn off, the adrenaline's come down, and you're actually working on the project. And it's hell. Mm-hmm. It's hell to work mm-hmm. on anything. And then I say, well, we, I won't push you anymore, but just tell me you don't really want this. You go, I do really want this. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to push like talking you. talking to your teenage daughter. Yeah. But I always say Alex, I don't care. Just let me know if you want to do it or if you don't. Because I would love to stop helping you with this project. <laughs> and we can both watch Seinfeld or play a video game. And always, you're so stubborn, you will never give up. So for that reason, I'm saying it's going to happen. And I just want to be clear. So it, it's not a novel. It would be it would be a book. A book that's in published. In this field, yeah. We're not going to give anything away right now. I thought you don't even know what you're going to write yet. Well, I, I know what I'm going to write about with the general umbrella could be a story about me it's not a story it's could just you be, know ba- based on experiences and things an experience you had with me turned into a novel it could be <laughs> but okay do we get into the our first interview heck yeah let's get to emily but before that let's tell everyone who we are supported by we are supported by seedlip the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit first and best First and best, we will stand by it because Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories and solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And nothing feels better for me, at least, when I'm drinking a nice cocktail and I know I'm going to have no repercussions the next day. And it feels so great to know that if you're not drinking, you don't have to stick with water, sodas, or sugary mocktails, but you can actually skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life because Seedlip cocktails are quite elegant. I feel like James Bond when I'm drinking these drinks. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. And this podcast. <laughs> it's true. And you can find more more recipes for more complex cocktails in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. You can head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This offer is available in Canada and the US and again that is SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and promo code ThisFamilyTree10. But we are also supported by bravado designs shane i want you to close your eyes and put out your hands all right tell me how that feels Ooh, feels like what, what is this does it feel like butter 
It does. But Is was, this actual? Oh, it's a bra. <laughs> so Shane was just holding a Bravado Designs nursing bra, which I was so obsessed with when I first got pregnant with Lucy. And I wore, even though it was a nursing bra with clips, I wore long after I gave birth with her, even when I stopped nursing. But they are truly so comfortable to wear like Shane if you're a woman holding this thing could you not imagine how comfortable that would be well just on my hands I feel like I don't want to get rid of it so Bravado Designs now has released an everyday collection if you're not a nursing mother you can just wear one of these Shane if you're ever inclined you can head on over so this is podcast co-host friendly I would say it is if you are inclined, but if you want to get their nursing bras, you can go over to bravadodesigns.com. And if you want to check out their everyday collection, which Shane was just holding and talking about how beautiful it felt, you go to ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of the website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your entire purchase. What is that promo code? thisfamilytree20 at either bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com. And now let's get to our interview with Emily Oster. Emily, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We are so excited to be talking to you. Expecting Better and Crib Sheets, obviously wildly successful and have had a huge impact on me and I really enjoyed reading them. So thank you, first of all. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear that. I want to start off. You are an economist at Brown yet you have entered the judgmental and controversial motherhood world. What was the catalyst for that? Being pregnant. I mean, basically, like I was an economist at the time at Chicago uh, and I got pregnant and I sort of found myself in this space where I, I kind of things were not going the way that I thought and not in any you know, like it was a very normal pregnancy, but I had sort of expected to be interacting with the medical profession in a way that was really different. And I expected there to be more information about the choices that I was going to make. And I was just like, sort of, I found this like world that I had not expected. And I reacted to it in a particular kind of weird academic way that led to the books and, and everything else. But really it came from being a, being a pregnant lady and then being a mom. No, that's important. And I know that I've seen that you said, you know, this is kind of trying to give context to parenting. So do you see even now like people within your own circle parenting without context and just, you know, either carrying on traditions that their parents did or taking whatever they're being told from medical professionals and not knowing why they're doing certain things. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I'd almost call it like reactive parenting where you sort of like, you just do whatever is the the last thing that someone told you. And I think in some ways, the piece where you just do what your parents did, okay, that's probably fine if you're happy with it. I think the thing that really makes people unhappy is when they're doing things, they're not really the thing that they want mm-hmm. or they're making a choice. And then every time somebody says, well, why did you do that? They think, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Like, I should probably do something different. And then you're kind of whiplashing between these different uh, these different approaches. And I think that's kind of where a lot of the stress of parenting comes in, and where you could end up feeling like you're doing the wrong thing all the time. Absolutely. Which I, think is, I think for me is like the hardest thing. Yes. You're just I'm constantly like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Always doing it wrong. No, and then and then I go into one mom group, and you know, one mom will say, oh, this is how we do it, and this is why we feel very strongly about it. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm doing it the opposite way. Am I in the wrong? Are you in the wrong? Or are we both kind of doing it right? And you know, there's one thing because I have talked about your books uh, with friends and with other uh, women I know, and 
I've heard here and there read that, oh, well, Emily Oster is a contrarian or she's in it for the shock value. Are you? <laughs> yes, I am. No. <laughs> I, yes, yes, definitely, for sure. No, I mean, I think that um, I think people say that more about the first book than the mm-hmm. second, because I think that like, especially when Expecting Better first came out, this idea that like you could have a glass of wine was this sort of like, ooh, you know, oh, are you the are you the lady who says that I can I can drink? Uh, OK, <laughs> um, you know, but actually much of what's in that, even in that book is really about like, hey, you know, there are a lot of different choices that, you know, you're going to have to make. And here's how you would evaluate with them with data. I think in Crib Sheet, there's even less that you would describe like that, mm-hmm. you know, even when it comes to something like breastfeeding, where I think that, you know, for some people, this reads like, oh, you're saying that breastfeeding isn't the biggest deal in the world. Well, that's true. But I'm also saying, you know, there are some small benefits, but there's also it's kind of not all that it's cracked up to be. So I'm, I think I'm trying to hit a little bit of a, of a middle of kind of like you have to make these choices for yourself and the preferences of your family mm-hmm. and of you and kind of what works for, for you. That's going to be a big piece of these choices. I, maybe that's contrarian, but I think to say that somehow, you know, like family preferences should be a part of your decision making. I think if that's contrarian, then I guess, I guess, yes. <laughs> How old were your children when you finished your book? So expecting better, I signed the book contract when I was 35 weeks pregnant. Um, and I finished the book when Penelope was like, my daughter was like a year. Good for you. The second book I wrote when my son was kind of just aging out of it. So kind of the year that he was two. Mm-hmm. My kids were like four years apart. So yeah, okay. um, so it was sort of like the expecting better was really like I did so much of the work during the pregnancy. And then with the with the parenting book, it was more like kind of reflecting on the both of the two kids as we were kind of aging out of that range. Let's just say you aren't you and you could have read your book. What's the one thing that you would have been like, geez, I wish I had this book when my kids were born instead of two when I finished it. Like, what's the number one thing you gleaned from even writing it? Yeah, so there's, this, I guess there's like sort of two answers there, and they're both about the parenting book, actually. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had had the breastfeeding write-up mm-hmm. when I was breastfeeding my first kid. And even though I sort of knew some of, I, I kind of had a sense of what that literature says, I really worked in the book to try to put all of this in context. And when I was breastfeeding Penelope, I was so hard on myself. And I, I like just, I did it in like such a, like, I have to accomplish this. And like, if I don't do it, I'm going to be a huge failure. And, and I wish I had not done that because it, it wasn't a very good experience. The one thing I really learned in writing the second book that I had not been doing before was I did all this stuff on toddler discipline. And I had thought like toddler discipline was just, you know, whatever. There was like nothing you could do that data would tell you anything about. And then it turns, it turns out actually there is some evidence-based, you know, better evidence-based approaches to, to discipline, to kind of being consistent and, you know, counting and doing these various things, which we turned out to then sort of immediately start doing with our Mm -hmm. kids, which actually improve things a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've been uh, talking to a lot of toddler behavior experts and specialists uh, and they are all leaning towards gentle pairing right now and no punitive consequences and things like that. What's your take on kind of that style of discipline? Yeah, I mean, I think when you read about these discipline programs, I think there's a couple of things that really come out consistently. One is just being consistent, Mm -hmm. that whatever you have 
decided to do, you should keep doing that. The, the thing that is most difficult for kids is if like one day there's timeouts and the next day there's no timeouts and then the next day there's stickers and then the next day there's candy and then there's no candy and then you lose dessert and you gain dessert like that. Kids find that very hard. And so whatever is the system you're going to have, like you should have that system and you have to like sort of follow through on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, whether that system involves you know, kind of punitive, like timeout kind of things, or whether it's more about rewards, I think is probably less important than just the the kind of having some system. I think the other piece that comes out really strongly is I would almost say parental discipline in a slightly different way that word means that like, it's really important for you not to get angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that when you are interacting with your kids and, and you are disciplining them in whatever way you choose to do it, that you yourself are calm. And even if you're saying like, you're going to a timeout, that's the voice. It's like, you know, okay, now you have a timeout. Not like, you know, you have a timeout, I'm going to throw you in the room and, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think that those are kind of the things that come out. So I talk some about these sort of counting timeout systems, but I actually think it's that particular end is not really what's in the data. It's just the kind of consistency and the the parental calmness. Mm I want to make up a word here and just say I want to talk about peanutive consequences, I guess, because peanuts, I found a very interesting (laughs) uh, fact that before it used to be don't introduce the children to peanuts uh, in the fir- within the first year. Now it is do introduce the children to peanuts because yes. it can actually uh, it lessen the chance of them being allergic to it by 70% or am I getting this completely wrong here? Yeah, no, you got it exactly right. You got it exactly right. Yeah, this is one of the like biggest, it's like such a big failure, but it's also just a huge effect. So usually in almost everything else I talk about in the book, it's like, you know, if you do this, maybe there's a little a little effect in this way or a little effect in this way and doesn't really matter. And actually the peanut, the like difference in the rates of allergy development, if you are exposed to peanuts early versus later are like huge. I mean, it's like a 70% reduction. And it's more than that. It's like people were being given literally the opposite of the correct advice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just no advice. It wasn't just do whatever with peanuts. It was like literally don't do the thing, which turned out to be a really good, a really good idea. And I think this is basically the reason that there's so much peanut allergy in kids that are sort of in the range of, I don't know, like eight to eight and to 25 or whatever it is. But you can actually see like they, they, these effects were so big that they changed the recommendations when this came out. And so this study about peanuts came out in like the sort of during like 2015 or Mm -hmm. late 2014. And my son was born in March, 2015. And in his class, nobody has peanut allergy. And in my daughter's class, like four years older, many peanut allergies. Oh, wow. And so Weird. I think we're basically like wow. this, this kind of moved so quickly that it was just like, as soon as this came out, now, now you can, I mean, it's unfortunately you still can't send peanut butter. No, but uh, you know, Shane, I thought Shane was going to make a penis joke where you were going with no. peanutive. Me too. Because, That's right? what I thought oh. he was going I, for. I also. thought he was going to get into <laughs> oh, no. I, we I thought you were going to ask about circumcision. Sure. Let's talk about circumcision. <laughs> because yeah. I know that's something you address. And <laughs> I know that obviously like I've uh, written about circumcision before and uh, I was Shane is not circumcised, but hey, that's if we personal. were no, you are circumcised. Sorry, oh my god! But if we yeah, were gonna that, have you even tricked me. I was like, I'm not. <laughs> if we were gonna have a boy before we knew we were having two girls, our decision was that we were not going to circumcise, and we felt very strongly about that solely, even just for the consent issue. Uh, and I was just curious the findings that you have on that because I know people are so divided on that issue is even when they have no religious affiliation or anything 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think what I sort of focus on in the book is kind of starting the point of like, okay, are there like big medical risks and are there big medical benefits? Mm -hmm. And the answer is that there are small things on either end. So there are, you know, there are some small, I mean, it's a surgical procedure involves Mm -hmm. cutting things. It is a very low risk surgical procedure, but all procedures come with some risks. So there are some sort of small, small risks. There are some small benefits in the sense that it seems like this sort of lowers the risk of urinary tract infections early on. There's like some impact on penile cancer, but I want to be clear, like that is like one of the rarest possible cancers. So Mm -hmm. as a kind of decision, like this just shouldn't really, it's probably not big enough to really, to really matter. So you're sort of left in a place where actually the most important thing is probably how you feel about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether for you, this was something you felt like it was not yeah. going to be okay to yeah. do. And then, you know, for my husband is Jewish. And so I think it sort of, it would have been so, it would have pushed so much against, you know, his kind of cultural background and his family to not do this. And so, and so we, we did it. Um, but I think that ultimately those kind of preferences are really the most important, going to be the most important thing in that, mm-hmm. um, in that decision. I guess for me, my only reason was some people were like, oh, it's child cruelty that the pain, the amount, the immense pain they're going through. Is there any data on like how much pain the child feels or how excruciating it is or is not? They use, they use um, pretty extensive painkillers when they're doing this now. So although this was, it was once thought that they, this does not hurt for some reason. And they, you know, when you do it sort of in a traditional, I don't know what they like traditionally this, they would not use painkillers, but now they use pain medication. Right. So So it'd be like how I, I got my wisdom teeth out and I was perfectly fine and I was awake for it. Yeah. Except it's a small, it means like a much smaller procedure than your wisdom teeth. Gotcha. Now, why do you think, like everything you say seems very logical and fact-based, why is there any controversy surrounding any of your books at all? What is it that's so hot button? I think there's sort of two answers. So there are some things where, you know, that I talk about where I think that the science is, like I'm taking more of a stand. So, you know, I did in the first book, I said, you know, the evidence does not suggest that small amounts of alcohol are, you know, problem problematic during pregnancy. And that is not a position everybody agrees with. And so I think that that, um, you know, in some of those cases, it was easier to see why there's sort of like more of a hot button thing. But I also think that for many of these parenting things in particular, people really want to have done the right thing. And they want their choice to be right so much that they want it to have to be right for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's like somehow uncomfortable to say, I chose to breastfeed. And than to be like, but I just did that because that's what worked for me. And it's totally fine if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like this was something I sacrificed for. It was hard. I put a lot of effort into it. I think it's important. And I want it to be important so much that I want you to, I want it to be important for you too. And that that sort of leads us into not really being as comfortable with the idea that like other people's choices could be different from mine, but could also be right. And I think that's what I, that's some of what I run up against when you sort of try to mm-hmm. talk about it, I don't know, in, in these kind of topics. Yeah, no, it's funny because I originally came across your work when I was pregnant with my first uh, about three years ago and my OB, it was over Christmas time and I said, look, we're going on a family vacation. Can I ring in the new year with a glass of champagne? And my OB was like, yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, if you were to open up a nice bottle of wine, you could have a glass of that too, whatever. Um, but she said, just don't say that I told you. Don't tell anybody that I told you that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, 
Okay, and then well, I aren't got you kind of, of ruining that right now here? On well, the <laughs> I won't say your name. Okay, but uh, and then I started researching online. And I was like, is this okay? Is she just is she just like you know crazy and kind of leading me astray for some reason? <laughs> but then I found your work, and I was like, oh, this seems to make a lot of sense, and and I really appreciated you talking about that. And kind of recently, I was I was going through it again, even though you know I had been through it once when I was pregnant with my second kid. I was just rethinking everything and relooking at data and message boards, which are the worst place to go. But I did find an article. Don't look that. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. But I found an article. Uh, it was yeah. By... That's always always bad things start with. I did find an article, right? <laughs> you can always find one you're looking for. No, and this is something that you sat down with. <laughs> For an interview, so it was Dr. Susan Astley. She's a professor of epidemiology and pediatrics at the University of Washington, and she's the director. I had to write this down. She's the director of the Washington State Mm. FAS Diagnostic and Prevention Network of Clinics. Mm. So she was saying that she sat down with you. You guys had this discussion, and then she kind of said at the end of her article that she goes, "Oh well, Emily just read the information wrong, or you cherry picked." studies that you used for your statements on drinking and then I was thinking okay well why would my doctor also tell me that then and I was really confused conspiracy maybe this woman was saying that oh there's even a case of uh, a person having FAS after their parent only had a single beer in the pregnancy Hmm. so now I'm left thinking what is your response to somebody like Susan Astley who is saying that you're possibly cherry picking information and is that even possible to get FAS after one beer or is that mama lying yeah that, that's so um I, I think that it's hard to like defend against the like the cherry you know the cherry yeah. picking thing I think what I can say and I think one of the things one of the much more concrete things people said is look there are many more studies about this that you didn't summarize in your book and I think that like that's absolutely true but you know what I do when I write these books and when I do and I write that part of it is I actually like, go through every paper on this topic that I can find. I don't summarize all of them in the in the book because this is a popular book for like a lay audience in which I am trying to sort of use my expertise to figure out what's true and then try to help people understand kind of what are the best studies of this? What are the things we should most want to rely on? And I think sometimes people have sort of used it as, oh, you're cherry picking, you're not reporting everything. Well, yes, yeah, some of those studies are terrible. It's like I'm leaving the rotten ones on the tree. I don't know how, like, what is the analogy? It's like there are some bad cherries and I didn't take those. Um, that thing about the one the one drink, this comes from some survey they did where when they had some kids with fetal alcohol syndrome, they asked their moms or in, I think in most cases, the adoptive parents, how much when the kids were like, you know, 10 or 12, they asked them how much the biological mom drank during her pregnancy. That isn't a very good way to learn about people's drinking during pregnancy. It's sometimes it's not even a question to the person doing it, but also, you know, there's a lot of desirability bias. This isn't the way people would want to do this, yeah. this study. And I don't think that there's basically, I think you would be hard pressed to find kind of anybody who would tell you that having a single drink during pregnancy would lead to full-blown fetal. I mean, this is like, we're not even in the space of things we could debate, right? Right. Like there's like spaces in here where I think people could have disagreement. I don't think that that is one that people would have disagreement about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is there anything about, like, I just found out my mom smoked a little bit when she was having me. Like, I don't think anyone should smoke pregnant or not. It's probably guaranteed to be bad for you. But is there any studies on smoking if you puff the odd cigarette? Is this why he screwed up? 
Oh. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Professional interview. There is some. Uh, there. So so most of the impacts of any kind of smoking are on um, like birth weight. So so they it does actually seem to affect um, birth weight and make you know increase the risk of of low birth weight babies. And we kind of know that from actually pretty good evidence where they encourage people to quit. Mm-hmm. And when they and they sort of like the the impacts on. Um, on birth weight are pretty big, even though not a lot of people quit. It's much harder to say, like, what if it's just like one cigarette, the occasion, because most people smoke, either they smoke, like, they or they don't, you know, there's actually not a lot of light cigarette smoking, but people mostly like smoke a pack a day, or they don't smoke Or when they're cigarettes. drunk. <laughs> yeah. And you shouldn't be drunk, probably. Yeah, yeah we should probably should not be. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if this explains anything about you, but I don't think so. Right. Okay. And what about, and I'm sure you've never been asked this kind of weird question, but like micro dosing with shrooms. I know that's a popular thing. Can that be done while you're pregnant or is that just a dumb question? Um, I don't know if it's a dumb question. It is not a question to which we have an answer. Um, For the same reason, it's really hard to answer the questions about marijuana, although Mm -hmm. that data is improving a little bit. But like when something is totally illegal, I mean, I, I don't know, micro dosing maybe is like somewhere in the, maybe it's not really, but when something is sort of like, considered illegal or either is illegal or sort of considered Mm -hmm. taboo it's very hard to get that data because you would need to like ask people are you microdosing while you're pregnant and and people are probably not going to want to tell you right so i guess when in doubt even just abstain until the the real facts are out there i would say on something like (laughs) microdosing yeah that seems Mm -hmm. fair and cocaine is just out of the question right (laughs) it's just no asking for hard hard no hard no yeah but i want to talk about maternity leave now this seemed to be a big issue is there a sweet spot for like the perfect amount? Yeah. So I would say, you know, most of our data suggests that six weeks is really important. You see like impacts on infant mortality from increasing Mm. maternity leave from, you know, not having it to six weeks. So like early on, time is really important. And on the flip side, when we push past four months, the evidence, at least on sort of child outcomes is less strong. So it doesn't look like we're seeing as big effects sort of after four months, you know, where in this space between six weeks and four months, like, would you quite want to draw the line, I think is a little bit unclear, but something like more than six weeks, and probably, although there may be some reasons to push past four months, the the kind of like, what is the benefit for the kid doesn't seem to sort of Mm-hmm. increase after that point you always hear that in the states they don't get enough maternity mm-hmm. leave that and, and i yeah. believe in the states it is six weeks right so maybe no, they're no, just... it's it's the big the paid maternity leave is zero in oh the wow that's there's much no, worse than I thought. yeah there's no paid so so there's a people can get six weeks under the family medical leave act so mm-hmm. you have six weeks of unpaid leave but unpaid leave isn't very helpful if you're poor because mm. you need to get paid Jeez. so yeah we that's have no paid good. leave ouch that's not enough that's no, no, that's insane. Mm. And it does come down to a classist issue and then a racist issue and everything and everything is so involved with that. That's incredibly infuriating to me. And even in Canada, you know, like I, I, I feel like I know if you are self-employed, you don't get a leave. I'm lucky to have the choice between a year and 18 months because of my job and I, I put away for it. But I know so many people aren't like that. I was reading an article you wrote in Time about the nuance in so many issues whether it's you know mat leave or drinking or breastfeeding the nuance in all these issues in motherhood and how creating blanket statements like absolutely no drinking during breastfeeding or breast is best is harmful to mom so I was just hoping you can go through what that harm is yeah so I think that when we you sort of step back and say like why would you want to make statements like breast is best and people say well the reason we want to say that is that you know we think breast is like 
let's say we all agree that there are some small benefits. If we say breast is best, then people will, and we really emphasize it, some more people will breastfeed. And if we tell them, like, if you don't breastfeed, your kid's going to be a loser, mm -hmm. like some extra people will breastfeed, mm -hmm. right? Because they'll be like, oh my gosh, I don't want that. You know, and so maybe even if eh, actually the data doesn't really support some of the things we're saying, if there's any benefits, we just want to force people into that by telling them, you know, like as being as strong as possible. I think where that's problematic is that it affects people, how people feel about these experiences, which is something that actually matters. So like, let's say, you know, some people are not going to be able to breastfeed either because they don't want to, or because it's really hard, because actually it's really hard to breastfeed. We don't provide a lot of support, particularly if there's no maternity leave. It's very difficult to keep breastfeeding exclusively when you have to pump at your job and they haven't provided you a place to do that. But so there's like a lot of reasons why this isn't going to work for everybody. And then, and by making these kind of statements that are so extreme and that go so much beyond what is really sort of tr true in the, in the data, you end up with people who feel terrible about themselves. I mean, the mm -hmm. people who write to me, like the, in some sense, the worst emails that I get are the, I mean, not the worst, and like I get a lot of really mean emails, <laughs> but like the sort of most like sad emails, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess are like from people's husbands mm -hmm. who are basically like, you know, my wife is so depressed about not being able to breastfeed. And this is mostly before crib sheet. People would be like, can you just tell her it's okay? That it's not, this doesn't mean she's a bad parent. And like, you know, I think that that, we're kind of not thinking about the the shame factor, the the fact that like people's mood is being affected by these things that we're that we're saying. We're making people feel like they're failing, and you know they're they're and they're not, and that is a real cost and one that we don't think enough about. How accepted is breastfeeding for the women who want to? Like if they were just at a Starbucks and they felt like they needed to whip it out and do a little breastfeed action, it, would that be frowned upon? It kind of depends what Starbucks it is. Um, you know, if you were in like Park Slope and you do that, it would be fine. There are definitely places in the U.S. where this has become more of a, of a like it's more, it is more taboo. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I was, I remember when I had my first, really the expectation is, was to like cover up. And so my kids didn't really like that. And then, and then we took her when she was pretty little to Europe. And I was asking somebody, you know, if I breastfeed her in public, do I have to cover? And they were just like, like they were just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm I'm afraid I'm not understanding your like. This person spoke English. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I'm so sorry, fun. I don't understand what you're saying. Like, why would you have like, why would you do that? What would be the reason for that? Mm -hmm. And so I think in the U.S. it's definitely like there's a more sort of taboo approach. Right in Canada, yeah. it's very free, right, to do I, that. Well, I, again, for, you, I, that for me it is. I've always just whipped it out, yeah. no matter where we are. Even for before we had children, yeah. <laughs> But uh, honestly, it was just easy for me. I I hated fiddling under a blanket. Yeah. Like I tried it once. Probably and I was gets like, hot you know under what? there for the kids. Yeah. yeah. No, who wants to eat in a hot like blanket? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, you know. I've had somebody ask me a question about this recently. Um, because so I am a secondary school teacher, and I had somebody ask me, "Well, look, like you know, you've had photos out publicly in which you're breastfeeding your child, and you talk about breastfeeding in the open." What is your perception of if you ran into a student or a parent of a student while that was happening or if they saw these images? And I said, well, I feel perfectly comfortable because I'm modeling, you know, yeah. a, what a good parent would do, which is feeding feeding their child when they're hungry, being loving, whatever. And I wanted to know, like, is there any data about the perception of other people when they see a breastfeeding mother? Like, should I be worried about somebody making a complaint to schools and things like that because I am willing to breastfeed openly? 
That's super interesting. I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I suspect that there's not much, uh, you know, not much sort of systematic about mm. this. But yeah, I think it's, I, th- I mean, I think you're right that like basically modeling this, that somehow the idea that it's like totally fine mm-hmm. for people to be wearing outfits that reveal everything, you know, like that somehow <laughs> they like, they, like the outfits people wear, like somehow like it's not okay if it's breastfeeding, but it's fine if you're just exactly wearing it. That Looking seems, sexy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That seems seems wrong. Mm-hmm. Now I wanted to talk about the cry it out method. Now I know your data yes. suggests that it definitely works, but is right. there any data to suggest that if you do the cry it out method, your kid's more likely to be serial killer? No. So there is a lot of randomized, good randomized data on this mm-hmm. where, you know, they have people who use to cry it out and, and not, and then they follow them, you know, maybe not until their kid would become a serial killer, but at least until, you know, five or six yeah. um, and look at attachment and, mm-hmm. and kind of these sort of psychological functioning things. And there's just no difference in kids who whose parents use this versus versus not. And even actually in the very short term, when you say like, you know, how does the kid, I, I don't know, for like you guys didn't do this with your kids but I think that when you do this with your kid there's this sort of worry that like when you go get them in the morning they'll hate you but even in the sort of very short term actually if anything these guys report the like these studies report kids being happier like that the, their, their parents say the babies are happier yeah in the first period after this and so I think you know these kind of long-term risks do not seem to show up in the data what we did do like we did a method it was like kind of like cried out so it was like a modified Ferber, essentially okay. what we did. So we would leave her, our daughter, Lucy, our eldest, for a certain amount of time. And like the longest we left her was like, I don't know, 45 minutes. And then we'd go in and reassure her. And But that was after like we had been elongating it. Like, you know, yep. we'd go in five minutes and then 10 minutes. And it helped. We only had to go in after 45 minutes a few times. And it helped. And she, as a two and a half year old, is an amazing sleeper. She'll stay in her yeah. crib for two hours in the afternoon, whether she's sleeping or not, just That's to hang awesome. out and play and have mm-hmm. quiet time. But then sometimes I wonder if we did screw her up because she's pretty wild. But then there there can't be any <laughs> there can't be any connection. No. Just genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah just I don't think that that's, that's not what that is. No. <laughs> well, Perfect. Well, that's what I wanted to ask about actually. Like in your studies, is nurture less important than we'd like to believe? I um, so I don't I don't know. Um, I think that most of what we what we know about this does suggest that like there's on many of these small individual decisions, it doesn't seem to matter very much, right? So like, do you, you know, when do you, like the kinds of things that like we're obsessed about all the time, like, when do I potty train? You know, do I, do I use cry it out or not? When do I start salad foods? Like, do I have to teach them to read when they're two? Like all these kind of things that sort of people in these various parenting spaces, like spend a lot of emotional energy on these things are not, I think on net very important, Mm -hmm. but of course we know in the kind of aggregate that the, the life experience of kids between the ages of zero and three is super important for their long-term outcomes. So it's like, it's not like saying there's like nothing that could that could go wrong. It's just once you're in the space of discussing, is it appropriate to potty train them at two or three or like is a half an hour of screen time too much every day? Like once you're having that conversation, you're already out of the range where there's sort of like, it's already fine. You know, I mean, this is like I, the example I always give is people, are, somebody wrote me once and was like, I'm really trying to figure out you know, there's two preschools I'm thinking about for my three-year-old. In one of them, all of the teachers have master's degrees. And the other one, only some of them have master's degrees, but their master's degrees in early childhood education. Like, which do you think is better? 
And I was just like, once you're having this, that's it. It's fine. Your kid's going to be fine. Like pick the school that's closest to your house. Okay. Like, you know, this is like somehow like this is not like, you know, it's one thing to say zero to three is important. Once you're in the like, which master's degree is right for my preschool teacher. You're, you're fine. <laughs> don't think about it anymore. And so I think that's kind of the, and you know, we also know, like, I don't, I don't know how much you experience this, but like, I have two kids and they, it's like obvious, they just come out different. Yeah. Like they are not the same. They are, we did very similar stuff. <laughs> they are just really different kids and like not in particularly good or bad ways, but you can just sort of tell that they're not, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we, we did the same stuff too. Like I think it was missionary both times and now they're both totally different people, even right. as a baby. You're talking about how you we think? made I'm them? I'm joking. Oh, okay. Sometimes I don't know because, yeah. All right. No, that's good. That's funny. I like that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, I did Thank too. You. Thank you, yeah. Emily. No, that's good. The delivery was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. You were going to ask something. Oh, I was going to ask about, uh, like, obviously a lot of people focus on the children, but I, I believe I was watching one of your talks and you were talking about that marital unhappiness is when you have kids, it's statistically proven to, to drop. Is it true that it, it picks back up when you when you have grandchildren? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, it does go down. I think that those, um, you know, in the data, like it goes, this marital satisfaction dips more if kids are unplanned or if you were unhappy before. I think some of what happens is like sort of people are not that happy and then they have a kid and then they're less happy. And you can, I mean, but you can sort of see why, like, I mean, maybe, maybe you're, experience is not like this but I you know I think particularly the first year of the first kid's life like that's hard for a lot of us like you know it's like you're tired you don't know what you're doing every day there was some decision that felt like incredibly important and like we had to do it right and we had no idea but we both were very sure that whatever we thought was right you know and that's just like a recipe for for conflict like you don't have the space to kind of talk about things you don't know what's coming and I think that that's really hard you know, that's just really hard on a, on a lot of people's marriages. And then it sort of does like improve over time, but still like having kids while a great joy also contains some stresses and people are more, you know, financially constrained and your time is more constrained Mm -hmm. and this sort of like, it's easier to be happy if on the weekend we can both just kind of like do whatever and sleep until whatever and go to brunch Mm -hmm. with our friends and like hang out and do our hobbies and maybe do a little work and then like you know kind of come together for dinner have sex like but you know like that's very relaxing when your weekend is like who's getting up at 6 30 to make pancakes and which hike are we taking because the only thing we can do is outside because it's a pandemic like you know that's like that's like a higher stress experience (laughs) yeah no, it's well, but wait, so you, you said that it picks up again mm-hmm. during, yeah. Well, she said that and I regurgitated yeah, it so back, I'm, yeah. Does it take that long? Yeah, I said, and it, 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 it comes back at grandkids, yeah. But do we have to wait that long for the satisfaction to No, you, it gets, no, 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 it gets back, it gets back, it gets better over the whole, it just starts getting better. Like, it's like the first year is the worst and then it okay. gets better. Okay. What, like, okay, so we have a five-month-old and a two and a half year old, you have a five year old and a nine year old. Is it yeah. way easier at five and nine than now? Oh or? my God. So much easier. Oh, good. Like you wouldn't okay, even, like good. last, I will tell you, last weekend we went uh, on a hike. We had made the kids hike six miles. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> and it was like fine. They didn't even whine because we do, we do it so much now. They're just like, ah. Uh, you gotta just keep walking till it ends. Um, but you know, they're like, yeah, it's so much easier. Like they can dress. I mean, it's in some ways it's harder. There are pieces of it that are harder because like it feels more fraught. Like mm-hmm. the like it actually feels easier to mess up. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like when I sometimes when I say the wrong thing to my nine year old, I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to remember. Like, I got to, like, backtrack and figure out how to, like, manage this. Whereas when you say the wrong thing to your two year old, you're just like, oh, they'll forget it in three seconds. Yeah. And so it feels like the sort of some of the decisions do feel weightier. Mm-hmm. But the day to day is just so much easier and people can, like, get their own breakfast and brush their own teeth and, like, put their clothes on and get their jackets. Oh, it's That'd amazing. Be- the dream. Poop in the potty. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. Can yeah, I don't. That. We we haven't had any poops in the potties. We, we had a half poop in the potty, and that was it. Yeah, a half. Some poop. kids are afraid. Is your is yours yeah. afraid to poop in the potty? Yeah. yeah, she's she can't do it until she's really relaxed. So she doesn't mm-hmm. even do it until she's like up in her crib, either asleep or just laying there with her stuffed animals. Well, she was and always poop. pooping. Her natural cycle yeah. was at nap time anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it's tough because that's just when it is. But speaking of shit, what's the shittiest? misnomer out there that parents are believing to be true oh like the most yeah the most like wrong info that everyone's just like oh this is kind of like an urban legend but it's complete bullshit i mean i think one thing is a lot of people think that tv is is evil so you know tv is not evil i think that's you know that's that's true i think a lot of people okay so here's a mistake here's a mistake a lot of people make about their kids' food. If your kid doesn't like the thing that you're serving them and you give them chicken nuggets instead, they will expect chicken nuggets every day. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's yeah. like one of my big pieces of parenting advice is that like your kid is at some point going to decide that they don't like the food you eat and actually they're not that hungry and so they're really willing to not eat it. And then they're, like the reaction of so many of us is to be like, okay, I'll make you something else because I don't want you to not have dinner. Yeah. And that, like, the one thing you can do for your kid is just let them go to bed without dinner. Yeah. It's fine. And that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes. What's fine. funny is I tried to give Lucy, our, our eldest, nuggets. She hates nuggets. <laughs> I never thought I'd meet a You're kid like who didn't like nuggets. like the one kid hates nuggets. I could love nuggets. I was all excited. I was like, here's a nugget. And I wanted to, like, film her eating her first nugget. She's just like, Pleh, and barfed it out. <laughs> now, now she's scared of them. Yeah. Maybe it's for the nice. best. Uh, I was curious if you're parenting ethos has at all been impacted by the research that you've done and if you've ever come across something that's made you say oh wow like I'm going to change the way that I'm going to approach this so um I actually do a lot of this research in the service of like making decisions about my my kids Mm -hmm. um and so for example I actually have another book coming out um in August which is about older kids um and so that's a sort of more been like more on my mind of of late um, and so, you know, sort of in the service of that, of that book, but also kind of just in the service of our life, I like spent a bunch of time researching summer camp um, in the last couple of years, sort of thinking about like, was it okay to send my, like, how should I be thinking about sending my nine-year-old? Like, is it okay for her to go to sleepaway camp? And so that's like the, that, that, and that is actually something where I had sort of thought like, I definitely will never send my kid to sleepaway camp because that's what you do if you hate your kid. <laughs> um, but as it turned out, that's, that's not true. Um, actually summer camp can be great. Uh, and so, and so that was a sort of, but it was it was informative because it kind of helped me shape like how I was even thinking about what the benefits were of of that and, mm-hmm. and like would it be good for her in in particular. So I kind of my whole like parenting thing is like I spend a lot of time reading papers. During the pandemic, a lot of kids probably aren't socializing as much as they would be outside of it. Like our daycare just flat out closed and she retired and now we have no daycare, yeah. even if we wanted it. Not that we would. But how is this going to affect them growing up, if at all, the lack of so- socialization? I have no idea, but mm-hmm. I think not good. 
Um, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things we have, I mean, I've been working a lot on school stuff. And I think one of the things we have seen for school age kids at the moment is that there's just like huge increases in depression and anxiety among kids, even, you know, fairly not young, like your kid, like Mm -hmm. your kids are like, like fine. They're happy to just be with you and each other. Mm -hmm. And that's like, but you know, once you're sort of in kids who are like six, seven, eight, like this is really important to be in an environment with other kids. Like that's how they like learn to be to be yeah. people and this sort of socio-emotional part of this is actually if anything like at that age probably more important than you know learning to read and it's something that's really been hard for people to to kind of replicate in their in their home so, so I think it sort of remains to be seen how you know a part of me thinks well if they're going to be screwed up at least they're all screwed up together and then they can just have like kind of a delayed start in this socialization mm-hmm. but how how can parents help uh like in our position so I have lupus and our youngest, like our baby has lupus. So we are both high risk. So we are incredibly secluded ourselves. And I try to think if, if our girls were older, what we would do, like pods, like grouping together with other families, like, have you heard of anybody doing something like that? That's effective? Yeah. So I think that people have been potting and I think that, you know, if you trust the other, the other pod people, that can be pretty effective. I I mean, honestly, you're in a sort of slightly different situation because of immune compromise, Mm -hmm. but like for most people, like school is probably fine. And the thing that you said that sort of like everybody is kind of pushed back. I think one of the things we've seen in the U S is that's not really true. Private school, like kids who are in like better resource environments, kids with access to private school, kids whose parents have better resources, they are actually suffering much less than, you know, low income students of color. And so I think that's been like a really bad aspect of the pandemic is the kind of exacerbation of what we see as sort of pre-existing inequality across, um, across kids. Wow. Yeah. And what, what data is there that, that shows that with, with kids that age? Like, so in like the school age kids mm-hmm. stuff, we've seen, you know, for example, in DC, there's like a, I think that they were saying there was a 20% reduction in literacy scores over the year on year for younger kids. We're seeing like in the Houston school district, 42% of kids are failing at least two classes in this semester. So, you know, this like this remote learning thing has not worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. There's not a good way for kids to no. learn. No. And, you know, I think we sort of knew that, but I think it's probably worse than we thought it would be. Yeah. And it's funny because our government, so we are in Toronto, so in Ontario, and our provincial government has been wanting to make a move to switch, like even before the pandemic, to switch to mandatory online courses. And teachers, we were on strike last year, pushing back against that because, you know, we know that like he was modeling it off of studies in Maryland, I think. And this system, this education system where the kids have to do all these mandatory online classes, yet their test scores are lower. So we were striking because we're like, okay, well, why do we want to do that here if it's not proven to work? And if we know that students can't function like that, do you foresee them eliminating online learning and things like this after the pandemic because of this? I think we will not, I guess what I would say is sort of slightly different is I think some people like at some point were like, oh, this is, this is great. We're going to learn all the great ways that kids can learn online and we'll be able to move so much of learning online. Even after the pandemic, it'll be, it'll be so productive and effective. And I think that's been really shut down. Yeah. So I have not seen anyone talk about like, you know, I think everyone's just like, this is, it's over. <laughs> like, no, we're not Zooming school ever again once we don't have to, which is not true of businesses, right? I think like people are still talking about like, okay, there are going to be like less meetings mm-hmm. in person. You know, we're going to have, we're do less business travel. Like all of that stuff, we've sort of found ways that Zoom can be productive. Um, I think that hasn't been true for, for schools. So mm-hmm. my guess is that this push that you're experiencing will be, 
will be gone with the with the pandemic and then maybe well yeah we could hope so i think (laughs) okay emily we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know that we are supported by the miku smart baby monitor the miku smart baby monitor is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor ever honestly there's no physical contact as miku uses sensor fusion technology so if you look at all the other smart monitors that are on the market they all have a sock that you put on your baby or something that goes over their tummy i won't even look at them no miku simply looks at your baby and knows how they're doing (laughs) (laughs) how you doing it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions it uses crypto security so there's no hacking sorry hackers and it has great hd video and photo great night vision a huge selection of sounds and lullabies and two-way talk the only thing it doesn't do is make fries (laughs) and they're i hear they're working on that (laughs) if you want to get your hands on truly the best baby monitor there is out there go to mikucare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE20 for $79 off. This is for the U.S. only. Sorry, Canadians. And again, that website is mikucare.com, promo code FAMILYTREE20 for $79 off. No other monitor is a Miku. And believe me, you're going to want this one. Now let's get back to our interview with Emily. I was reading that your husband's an economist also, right? So it's a pandemic. You have children, but because you're on the same wavelength, having the same job, is everything smooth sailing for you? I mean, we never had any fights during the pandemic. Seriously? <laughs> um, no, no, oh. not seriously. Oh. <laughs> oh, terrible. I get it. oh, my God, it was terrible. No. Um, okay, good. So I think it was, um, you know, I think that we um, we have a very similar, like, we've been married a long time. We've had the kids for a while. We were, like, in a position to sort of, like, start, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had a meeting. Like, we sat down with our laptops and our schedule and, like, mapped out who was going to do what mm-hmm. in what time. But it was really stressful to try to manage. And we had, like, to be honest, we had a babysitter who came, like, half of the day, even during, like, she was, like, living alone. She was in our pod. And so that was helpful. But it still meant, like, basically we were splitting the a lot of the time with the kids and managing the, like, Zoom school for my son, who was at the time in pre-K, and my daughter, and sort of, like, trying to manage the kids. And it was, yeah, it was really, it was, it was really high stress. And I think... It was also difficult. We did not have a situation where it was obvious whose job was prioritized. And I think that has some benefits and also some some downsides because I think it might, there were times it would have been easier to just be like, okay, you're doing your job and I'm going to like manage this other thing as opposed to like, I'm doing my job. It's kids recess. I'm on a phone call during the kids recess. Then it's your job. Then it's like, you know, then I'm on another, like then I got them back. And then that kind of flip-flopping was -hmm. was tricky. We sort of got through it, but it was not, it was not super easy. Yeah. For for me, I found I, I would forget that the children were my job. It would be like, my job's my job and your job's mm-hmm. just the, the children, yeah. even though she was good. still working too. Right. So she also, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. I think sexist. a lot of women, I mean, I think I definitely did more than half of the kid mm-hmm. stuff and like all of the women, um, no offense, Shane, but like, mm-hmm. I think that was just like that, that happened to be something that was one of the casualties of the pandemic was, was female labor force participation. Yeah. And, and yeah. hopefully that's something that people can take a look at now, you know, as a greater community as a whole, but then also within families and say, well, look what happened kind of just naturally with when things went to shit. And hopefully people can try to take steps out. And I know, you know, Mm -hmm. you're doing a lot now. 
the thing that actually ruined us was this podcast. It just, the podcast <laughs> intensified and it yeah. became so much more work than we ever could have imagined. So yeah. that became like our children. But uh, yeah, thank you for, <laughs> I, I want to say uh, thank you for being on uh, the show because I think we're out of questions. I've gone through my yeah. book. No, I, yeah. Emily, you were absolutely fantastic. And again, like this is, you are somebody I've been wanting to sit down and chat with since three years ago when I first got pregnant. So I really, really do appreciate this. And if people want to check out your new book when that comes out, check you out online, where and how can they do these things? They can find me on either Instagram or Twitter. I'm Prof. Emily Oster on both of them. And those are probably the best, probably the best way. And I have a newsletter called Parent Data. Amazing. Uh, on Substack. Amazing. And when, when's your book come out? August? August. August. And where can they get that when it does? Amazon or Maybe. any any news any place that you purchase books and sorry if i missed the title do you have a title for the new book uh yeah it's called the family firm i like it i like that okay i'm intrigued (laughs) okay i'm gonna pick that one up get intrigued pick it up (laughs) emily again thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your week take care thank you so much thanks bye emily yeah okay that was em can i call her em i'd say so now she was pretty cool but like just what a smart woman and so easy to talk to and i I was like so excited just because her books were amazing and I got so much information from her during my pregnancy that to talk to her, it was kind of like a, what you, like a literary intellectual starstruckness. Took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that was really eloquent, wasn't it? Yeah. Anytime we try to use words to make ourselves sound smarter, <laughs> it's just we're making stuff up. Speaking of smart people, I mean, this guy, uh, he knows his stuff to the point where I'm just actually going to go to this guy come tax season, give him a whack of money and hope I get a bigger whack of money back. There you go. Good plan. He really is top of the pops. If you're in Canada, of course, if you're in the States, go to Tyler McBroom. And if you're somewhere else, go to whoever the top of the pops is there. <laughs> the top of the pops. Yeah, it's an expression. But before we get to this interview with Bob, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And yes, for the last time, it's B-R-E-S-T. The A is out of there. (laughs) It's true. And for more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals around the world. Lactation consultants credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible and I can attest to this I was given a my breast friend pillow by a friend who said all right Alex try this it's the Cadillac of nursing pillows you're gonna love it I didn't get it before I started nursing I was like okay this is interesting then I started using it I started using another pillow and I kept going back to the breast friend until I just honestly I gave away all my other pillows it was the only one I could use and it's called my breast friend but men can use it too Of course, nursing your babies doesn't only mean feeding from the breast, but that's also bottle feeding. And Shane, you did that, and you did use this nursing pillow very regularly. Yeah, and do I expect an award? Well, maybe. There you go. So if you want to purchase a My Breast Friend online, you can go to buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, or amazon.com. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for breastfeeding. It's the breast decision you'll ever make. But we are also supported by the Medela Pump and Style Double Electric Breast Pump. This is not just a breast pump. It's a piece of serious high-tech equipment. It is the Porsche. No, what's a good brand? Cadillac. 
Cadillac of breast pumps. <laughs> it is. Shane, are you ready for a whole lot of what it can do? I was born ready. All right. So with this Medela Pump and Styles double electric breast pump, they have a new max flow vacuum technology combined with personal fit flex breast shields that provide effective stimulation and comfort, allowing for 11.8% more milk faster than pumps with a 90 degree breast shield. How much time is that saving me? Two hours a day. That's massive. It saves two hours a day. And as you know, when you're a new parent, time is so important. It could be money. Time is money. I've heard people say that. <laughs> time is money. I would say time is sleep right now is a sleep deprived new money. mom. <laughs> it's true. And with the new modern and compact design, it's so easy to carry and really convenient to take around with you. Now, Alex flubbed that, but she said modern and compact design. Thanks for the help, Shane. And the pump and style is also equipped with technology that mimics your baby's suction and is designed for frequent daily use. So it's proven to express more milk in less time, as we said, two hours a day. And it's proven to build and maintain milk production, making it the best alternative for shared feedings or when breastfeeding is not available. You can buy the pump and style double electric breast pump at medilaboutique.ca. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytreatgift, you will receive an Easy Expression Bustier, which is a $48 value. This is for Canadians only, and make sure to put the Easy Expression Bustier in your cart before you use the promo code. Again, that promo code is This Family Tree Gift, and the website is medilaboutique.ca. And now let's get to our interview with Bob Govreau. Bob, welcome to this Family Tree Podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. And if we could start out by, what is your job title? Why are you going to talk to us about taxes? Yeah, so I am the founding partner at Govro & Associates Chartered Professional Accountants. So I've essentially created a CPA firm. We focus on working with people on taxes, primarily business owners, but we do have about 1,400 uh, individual tax returns that we file as well. We have a team of 25 people here and we support uh, small to medium-sized businesses and individuals all across Canada and North America. Do you work with Tony Robbins? This is what I was going to ask. I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. So it was maybe three, four years ago. Super cool story. I got a phone call and it came up like Tony Robbins on the phone. It wasn't him, but it was his CFO and they reached out and they said, we're looking for a Canadian partner to team up with us to help our Canadian business clients at his business mastery event. So we've got our US partners, we've got an Australian partner, but we're looking for a Canadian partner and we found, we got your name. I was like, well, that's pretty awesome. Wow. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah. So I, I went and I worked with Tony and his team for three years traveling to his three main events, which are in Florida, Vegas, and one has been over in Amsterdam. And I uh, got to go hang out with him with some of his billionaire friends and have some positive impact and change some lives. So it was pretty cool. So what is Tony like? Is he the same guy you see on TV and whatnot? So only really met Tony and per Tony's schedule is like 24 seven, right? Mm -hmm. He's going nonstop. So primarily worked with his chief financial officer and his team of advisors. So any of the people that you would see on stage, we tended to uh, get together, collaborate and come up with a really great way to add value to his clients. So met him a few times, you know, I'm five, nine, and he's definitely not. 
<laughs> yeah, he's like six five at least. Uh, he's, I think he's a like a foot taller than me. Just a massive, massive man. And you know what? When you shake his hand, you can tell he is one of the most genuine people you'd ever meet in your life. So really, really cool and inspiring. And you know, there's not too many people that I get a little bit starstruck over. But when I first met him, I was like, oh man, yeah, this is this guy is you know bigger than life. So yeah. So obviously, you met Tyler McBroom. He handles American taxes. That's his specialty he recommended you and you handle canadian taxes now we are canadian we run a small business and i wanted to know if there is crossover and things that work with american taxes yeah so good question right there is a lot of crossover between uh, canada and us but there are a lot of differences so like i would say you know it's kind of 50 50 with some overlap so right out of the gates uh yes we can pay our children you know in canada we follow a reasonableness guideline that says you know reasonable compensation for work performed so we would tend to follow like a fair market value what would the value of their contribution to our business be and you know if we can justify that then absolutely so anyone, any Canadian individual, whether they're over 18 or under 18, everyone gets a personal tax exemption. And right now it's around $13,000. So for the first $13,000 that any Canadian resident earns in Canada, and that we're filing on our Canadian tax return, you wouldn't pay tax on that. Mm-hmm. However, you, if you start to get above that, then uh, you know we have so many credits that we have available to us, whether it's for having kids, having a dependent spouse, you know, the more we have uh, available to us, the more we can earn without paying tax. And again, yes, the personal tax exemption is one of those. Okay, so you just saw my my daughter here. What is reasonable to pay her? And is there a, a maximum amount I can pay her? You know, it's a, it's a good question. There's nothing specifically that says you couldn't if she was contributing value to your business. There isn't a max. It's again, more of a, if she were to be doing the same work for someone else, yeah. what would they pay her, right? That would be reasonable, fair market sort of compensation. And that's what the, the Canada Revenue Agency would look at as guidelines to say, is what you're paying your daughter reasonable or not? So some of it is, we need to construct an argument that says this is the fair market value based on this environment. Right. And is that substantiated enough that if we were to pay them, the CRA comes in and looks that they would say, okay, that makes sense. A lot of people, when we're talking about different types of compensation, you know, we talk about the gray line. Everybody mm-hmm. says, don't want to be near that gray line, or we want to try and push to the other side of the gray line and, and push the tax rules as much as possible. Those would be some of those gray areas, right? Where we would look at it and say, we could push this farther, or is this an area where we just feel like this is maybe a conservative area that we don't want to go that far over in? Just to give you an example, we have a maternity account and one of our sponsors is Hello Bello and they make diapers. So often we feature our daughter wearing the diapers. And if we didn't have a, a, a small child who needed diapers, we wouldn't have that form of, of business. Absolutely. If I said, oh, she makes $30,000 a year, is that like, is there a cap? Because I know Tyler was saying in the States it was $12,000 per child. Is there the cap? There's there's not really a cap either mm. um, in the Canadian side. So what I would do, you know, if, if this were my scenario or, you know, we were providing advice to you, I would say, okay, let's try and research 
what other, you know, similar children who are doing similar modeling, you know, sort of situations for like a Huggies or a Pampers. And I would say, what would their models get paid to do that type of work? Now, your relationship with your daughter might require more compensation because of the relationship, the reliability being available to you when you need her, right? Um, versus someone who's just a model and, you know, goes home with their parents at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if that's the circumstance, we could likely push that value up even higher. Another thing I was gleaning from Tyler, it was if you don't have a business, it's pretty cut and dry your taxes. But if you do, there's this whole other world that opens up to you in terms of things you can be saving. Is that true with Canadian taxes as well? Or is there a lot on the table for personal taxes also? There are quite a few credits that are available to all individuals, but it's based on essentially your family and your health situation. So there's medical, dental, donations, child credits, spousal credits, political contribution credits. There's a whole bunch of things that are available to every individual. However, when you open up a business and you think of things that, you know, maybe an individual who would go to and from work or would drive to a client's address because they're employed, that maybe isn't deductible, but you get into a business where you're leaving your home, that's your home office and traveling to see clients, all of a sudden, that business is getting that deduction. So you're saving tax money inside a company that you own where you wouldn't get that same benefit as an individual. So there certainly are extra benefits there. Higher risk though, when we look at being employed versus starting a business, when you're starting a business, you're taking on more risk, which is why they're giving you more opportunity to deduct. Um, Whereas an employee, you've kind of got the security of being an employee at a company You've got employment insurance that's attached to that. Should something happen, you know, you're going to be entitled to earning an income after that, that relationship severs. So there are some benefits, but there's definitely the downside. If your business fails, there's no EI check that's going to be available to you. You know, you need to go find a job. So for personal taxes, what are some things that people aren't doing that they should be doing if they if they're the type to just go to H&R Blocks or something they can tell that person to help help them out that often they are not. Yeah, and and you know, being a CPA with with about fifteen years of experience, geez, that's getting scary. <laughs> um, fifteen years experience, we just see more situations, and with five to ten years of education for every CPA designated individual, you know, we we just have more exposure to those situations versus someone at like a franchise tax office that takes a 48 hour examination to get approved to start doing taxes, right? So we definitely, we have that experience. It's just a different circumstance. But one of the things that I would say when we get people who have gone there and we fix their stuff up for them, some of the things that are missed, there's carry forward information that is on the Canada Revenue Agency website, like tuition credits, you know, donation and medical expenses that have been carried forward. Sometimes those get missed. And if those get missed, you know, it could be thousands of dollars of taxes. Looking at, and I think maybe the more proactive piece is doing the planning. How do we, instead of just filing our taxes, how do we actually plan for it so that we aren't paying as much? So for example, an employee could be doing some RSP planning. So RSPs being an investment into your own retirement savings plan that you actually get a deduction for on your personal taxes. So if you're coming in and you typically owe, if you contribute to your own retirement savings plan, we can actually get you a refund so that you're not having to pay extra money out to the government. So that would be one. 
Another area that I see all the time, and this is a bit of a pet peeve for me, is that people have non-secured investments. And I'll explain what that means. Mm -hmm. So a non-secured investment or non-registered investment, sorry, is an investment where you're earning interest or dividend or capital gain income, and you're being taxed personally for that. So if you were to have that same investment, but put it in RSP, you're not paying tax on it, you're getting a deduction up front. There's also at what's a TFSA tax-free savings account that that same non-registered investment, if you put it in your tax-free savings account, it's still going to earn the dividend, interest, capital gain, income from being invested in that. However, if it's inside that program, you don't pay tax on it. And that's something I see all the time. And maybe because in the relative terms of the Income Tax Act, it's still relatively new. I think it's been seven or eight years but people still haven't moved their non-registered money that they're paying tax on as it earns income into a tax-free savings account, which just says you can invest everything in the same same information, same stocks, same bonds, same GICs, but it's just not taxed here. So that would be one area that I see a lot. Right. So people just aren't using their tax-free savings account. It just doesn't make any difference, right? Yeah. They've, they've got all this contribution room, but no one's ever told them, hey, if you just actually take those same investments and put them in there, that's really just a stamp that says, hey, we're inside a tax-free savings account. You put it in there. Now you're not having to pay tax on all of the income that those investments are generating. Right. So I do see that quite a bit. One other thing Tyler was mentioning, he was saying, if you get a return, it's actually not a good thing. In Canada, is that same statement true? Well, so what I would say, is, and I think his perspective of that would be, you know, if you're getting a refund, that means you've overpaid throughout the year and you've given them money in advance. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't have given that to them. And I would say the same circumstance is, is in Canada as well. But Getting a refund is definitely not a bad thing. As an employee, you're you're getting paid, you're getting your income tax and your Canada pension plan and EI contributions all taken off your paycheck. So at the end of the day, you're going, geez, I thought I made more, but all these deductions came off. So those deductions are being taken off based on the income that you're earning and the credits that you've informed your payroll department are available to you. So they're essentially giving you a net paycheck so that when you file your taxes, it's supposed to be zero. Now in comes Bob and his team in September, right? You've already earned your income for nine months of the year. We come in and we say, hey, let's do some RSP planning. Let's look at how we get extra uh, deductions related to maybe charitable contributions. Maybe you're, you're making uh, a donation to an organization that there's maybe two very similar ones, but one's not a registered charity, right? We want that extra deduction on our personal tax return. So at the end of the day, once our team gets in there and we start doing some planning and some reorganizing and you get a refund, that is a good thing, right? We've essentially just recovered some of the upfront tax that you've paid. So I get where, where he's coming from for sure, but would say that you know if, if we're not part of a planning process upfront, we can always go back and try and get you some of that tax money that you've overpaid. Should people even go to H&R Block? Like, is is it ever worth it or should people always go to Bob and his team? Well, that's, I'm, that's a <laughs> little bit of a biased uh, circumstance, but no, like it, to be honest, you know, if you have a job and you've got a T4, which is the statement of employment income, and you've got, maybe that's it. Maybe you make a, an RSP contribution, a registered 
pension plan contribution. And those are the two things you have. You really don't need the sophistication of me and my team in order to do that. However, if that's all you have, you know, looking at a TurboTax or an online filing system might not be the worst case scenario. But let me say this, we still do those returns. Actually, some of my younger team, they love when those come in because it's like, oh, thank God, something that's not overly complicated. We still do those returns. Now, our fee to do those isn't much higher than an H&R block, for example, because they charge for all these little small components of it. And their, their fees actually get relatively high compared to, you know, a team that's got let's say 100 years experience under our belt altogether, you know, we're obviously going to get it right. Right. If it's simple, you, you likely don't need us. You should probably file it by yourself. But if there's any complexities, then certainly reach out to a professional like us. So I'm going to jump in and pardon me for missing a bit. So if you guys talked about this, just let me know. But I want to ask about our RSPs. We are terrible with banking. I really don't even know what that is, but would putting money away in RRSPs save us from getting taxed more? Would that have anything to do with our, our tax statement at the end of the year? Yeah, for sure. Now, I did speak a little bit about it, but let me maybe jump in a little bit deeper. An RRSP, a Registered Retirement Savings Plan, is something... So there, there's, again, there's two different types of retirement plans. One is a tax-free savings account. Uh, which I think I talked a, a little bit more in detail about, but then there's the the RRSP component. Now, with that, if you're making a contribution to your own retirement plan, you actually get that value as a deduction on your personal taxes. So, let's say you uh, had a job for you're making fifty thousand dollars a year. Again, all the income taxes, Canada Pension Plan contributions, everything is coming off on a on a weekly or biweekly paycheck. And at the end of the day, you're, you're meant to not owe or get a refund based on how they've withheld taxes. But if you go and you make you know, a $5,000 RSP contribution, your taxable income would go from 50 down to 45, right. which would mean that you've essentially overpaid your taxes and you can recover it. So an RRSP contribution will in fact generate more of a refund than you would otherwise have. So if you're not doing that, you're just basically leaving money on the table if you have that extra money to invest in an RRSP. Yeah, it's, you know, if you look at it from a return on investment standpoint, and when I think of that, I'm not necessarily thinking of the investment you choose to, to use it for. But, you know, if you were to take that $5,000, put it into an RRSP, you're likely going to save around 20% of that 5000 in tax savings. Right. Mm. The one downside of RRSPs is that when you do retire and you no longer have a source of income, you pull that RSP out, it does become taxable down the road. Right. But the intent is we get a, a decent return right out of the gates. We make some savings. We have that extra cash flow available to us now. We invest that 5000 and it becomes 20000 you know, 20, 30 years from now when we retire. Right. So, you know, the intent of that program is to have a deferred tax on investment growth. And right. it has been a really long-term strategy for tax savings and for growing investments mm -hmm. um, and retirement for individuals. So 
it's interesting. Um, I write I write some quite a few articles for different magazines, and you know, one of the things that we've researched is the number of people who are actually not contributing to any sort of investment or retirement plan, and the numbers are staggering. Like it's it's around the seventy percent of people don't contribute and aren't saving for the retirement when there's opportunities like uh, you know an RRSP or a tax free savings account that's going to save us money now. Why wouldn't we take advantage of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're included in that. 70%. And I feel silly to say, but it's such a learning curve. I didn't grow up in a family that did that. So you mentioned investments. And is that something that you would recommend to people coming in? It's like we have an investment property, a, rent, a rental house. So things like that, like, is that too risky? Or is that something that you would recommend somebody to do? Yeah. So I have a couple, I think it's as a blanket statement, I think it's good to diversify in different ways, right? Mm. I think real estate is a really good option. I don't personally like being a landlord. I have properties, but I hate it mm-hmm. um, it's hard. <laughs> because there's just more headaches than what I seem to think it's worth. But I do have commercial properties that mm. are not a headache. I also have investments in the market. Now, the interesting part, and I'll circle back to the tax side of, of deductibility inside uh, real estate as well, because I think that's super important. But one of the things I would say is that real estate, you're not only getting and renting out a property that's likely paying your mortgage off on that property for you, but you're also getting the appreciation and value from the property that you're buying. So if you buy something for 500000 you hold it for 10 years, it might be worth a million dollars, while the person who's renting has paid down the mortgage on it. So, you know, it's super interesting. And if you can get the right scenario going with a good opportunity for a property, I think real estate is a really, really good investment. Now, one of the questions that you guys asked earlier was, you know, there's deductibility having a business, and then there's deductibility of being an individual. And yes, there's more opportunity for deductibility for owning a business. Now, I would say the same sort of opportunities lie there for real estate. So If you're looking at different ways to maximize your deductibility, you can certainly utilize your your property for that. And I don't want to stretch too far, but to say that, you know, if you strategically bought and replaced things by using your property, you could get some of those items deductible. Mm -hmm. One example, and this might be an area where people would miss this if they weren't working with an experienced tax expert. One area is, you know, there's deductibility of interest on a real estate property, but there's no deductibility of interest paid on a personal mortgage. So one strategy that we try and implement for people is why wouldn't you, if you own the property personally, refinance your investment property? So say it's gone from 500 up to a million, why wouldn't you take that money or that that equity, pull out more from the mortgage and pay off some of your personal because the personal debt is not going to be deductible, but now we're going to have more deductibility on our real estate side. Mm -hmm. So there is opportunity like that to, it's not saving you any sort of cash because, you know, mortgage here, you're paying and now you're going to increase the other one. But what it does save you is the tax on the interest expense. So, you know, again, just being strategic with our tax deductions can be really beneficial for the long haul. And how important is it in Canada to save every single receipt? Because I was bringing up to Tyler, because he had quite an intense filing system and it seemed not more annoying than it was worth, but just very annoying. Yeah, <laughs> it is very annoying. And it's even worse because now you have to save it for seven years too, right? Yeah. 
So that, that part's a little bit frustrating, but as part of being a CPA and, you know, I look at myself as more of being an advisor too and helping people simplify some of this stuff because it can get overwhelming, especially if you're doing a bunch of renovations for a real estate property, um, maybe trying to increase the value to go and do it all over again, right? One of the things I would say is let's make sure that we make this as simple as possible. So one way that we would try and push people towards is QuickBooks Online. So QuickBooks Online is an accounting and bookkeeping solution that essentially will import all of your transactions from your credit card and your bank account and track all of it in an electronic system. Now, that's the one part that says, yes, we have our credit card statements and our bank statements, but what about all the actual receipts? So that particular application now has a camera feature on there where you take a picture of your receipt and it matches it up to the transaction that's uh, that's actually taking place on your bank statement. So now you have a digital copy of that receipt attached to the transaction as well so that you don't have to continue to have, you know, the nightstand full of receipts (laughs) uh, that we've all had where, you know, you kind of sweeping them into the garbage because you're eventually just sick of looking at them. So by using some sort of software like the QuickBooks Online, you're really able to make that as efficient, easy, and you can actually get rid of those physical receipts. So let's say mm-hmm. you're just a person, you don't keep any receipts, but you just try to do a claim with the records from your credit card and your online statements. Are you going to get audited and get in big trouble if you do that? So it's a really great question. And I think it's maybe a misconception of how that whole audit process works. So when we file somebody's taxes, and it could be the most complicated business in the world, we're really filing it and summing it down to a few lines. For example, if you had a business and you had $20,000 of meals and entertainment and you had a vehicle in there and it was only being used for personal use, you know, insurance was in there and some of it was life insurance, for example. You know, some of those we need to pull out when we file the tax return, but others like the use of a vehicle that we should be taxing you personally on. If we file that saying, here's all the vehicle expenses, they don't know that that's a personal use vehicle. They don't know that insurance is life insurance. They don't know that meals are maybe meals related to you taking your family out. Mm -hmm. Um, Although we shouldn't be deducting those when we do, right? If someone were to, to submit all of those documents, the CRA or the tax authorities don't know what details are involved in that. The way that they do an audit or the the reason that you would get flagged for some sort of audit process would be based on your risk profile. So your risk profile would be a few different things. One, if you're not filing on time and not paying uh, the amounts that are outstanding, your risk profile increases, right? Where they're starting to go, we're not so sure if these people are, you know, valid. But if you file on time and you pay what you owe, then they tend to leave you alone. If you have massive variances from year to year, so year one, your your travel expense was 3,000, then it went up to 45,000, they're likely gonna think that there's something in there or their software would capture an analytic that would say, you know what, there's more risk associated in that particular line. We don't know what's in there, but we're just thinking based on the analytics and the variance from year to year, that something is in there. So if all of a sudden your risk profile starts going up and you were to get audited, if they were auditing you, which again is a pretty low, low risk, but if they were auditing you and you sent in you know, the bank statement or the visa statement with no individual receipts, you're kind of at the mercy of the individual doing the audit, right? right? Because technically you're supposed to have those individual receipts. 
Now, if they're scanned in on your phone and we can print off a digital copy, it doesn't have to be the original, but if you have nothing and you just give your visa statement, they may accept it depending on the auditor, right? The auditor might say, oh yeah, that's good enough for me. I get it. Yeah. But they might also say, no, not a chance. We're denying everything. Oh my God. Wow. That's so, such a nightmare. so they, they have that power, right? That's such a nightmare. Yeah, I need to get that app. How expensive is this QuickBooks? So QuickBooks is one, right? That's one that we would use a little bit more. There are there are free applications that are out there. I'm trying to think of, of a couple of them. Maybe I can shoot you a note after. Okay. But, you know, there's FreshBooks, there's Sage 50, there's QuickBooks Online. You know, there's a bunch of different programs that are out there. Depending on the complexity of what you have, really, if you just took a picture of the receipt and you save them in your phone in a little filing cabinet, that would likely work too. Okay. It just may be harder for you to go back and find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably worth the investment just to throw down the money for the QuickBooks, eh? Well, totally. And, <laughs> and it's deductible for you. So yeah. now you you're saving money on that. So if it costs you $30 a month, uh, you know, after you save taxes, depending on your tax rate, it might only cost you $20 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll maybe jump in there with one extra thing that uh, I get asked a lot where people say, well, what can we spend money on to save tax money? And my answer is typically accounting fees. Pay me all the money and you'll get the deduction. <laughs> I'm good with that. But but the reason I say that to people is let's not be crazy. Let's not spend money just to get a tax deduction because let's say your tax rate's 30%. If you spend $100, you're going to save 30, but it's still costing you 70. Yeah. Right? You're still out $70. So let's not spend something just for the sake of getting a tax deduction. However, if you have to buy something and you're going, do we buy it in December? or January, I would say buy it in December, we're going to get the deduction right now, we'll get the savings right now instead of getting it later on. So I think it's more strategic and timing wise, but sometimes people just want to spend money to get a tax deduction. (laughs) I always discourage that very strongly. I wanted to ask, so people keep saying, you know, lease a car, you can like, telling Shane and I this, you guys should lease a car, you could write some of it off, uh, because we are needing a new car. Yet I know a lot of people that own businesses, whether it's their photographers, they have a restaurant, whatever, and I don't think they lease cars. So what should we be doing for our next car? Is it better for us to lease one or to buy one? Yeah, it's a great question. And that's probably one that I get the most. (laughs) And it totally depends, right? It depends on everybody's circumstance. So what I would say is the very first thing that we look at from that sort of decision, should I lease or should I buy is, you know, what's the long term plan? Do you like to have a car for, you know, three years and then trade it in for the next one? Do you beat up your cars? Or do you baby them? And you know, 10 years from now, it will still look like it's brand new. So that would be one consideration. The second would be, are we concerned about the cash outflow? Because typically, leases are less expensive than financing, because we're going to own the car at the end, right? right. Um, versus the lease, we're just essentially renting it and then we have to give it back at some point. So typically leases are less expensive. So if we're concerned about cash flow or maybe we're taking that extra money and investing it and we're really making the best use of it, then maybe leasing makes sense. However, if you're on the other side and you go, I want to be able to own it down the road when my 48 month lease is up, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to start another lease. I want my payments to be over. Then you would look at financing. So there's a whole bunch of circumstances that I think need to be considered. And then you throw in the tax implications. So tax implications are slightly different between the two. If you were to lease a car, you essentially get that deduction up to $800 a month, you get that deduction every month inside your business or with your rental. Whereas financing, 
you essentially buy it. And if it's a passenger vehicle, you're capped at $30,000, but you buy that $30,000 vehicle and then you depreciate it at 30% per year. Right. So in the first year, we only get half of it, but every other year we depreciate 30%. So leasing, we're going to get it as a rent expense, whatever we're paying up to $800, we get to deduct. Whereas depreciation, we're going to be able to take 30% of that $30,000 and claim that. So we're getting a higher upfront deduction there. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think it, it's very individual mm-hmm. for everyone. What's the best circumstance? But here would be um, one of the things that I would think, and, and maybe this is geared towards more of the business owners. But one of the circumstances that comes up often is, well, I want to buy this vehicle. I need it for work, but I'm only using it 50% for work and probably 50% for personal. And if you own a business, you likely want to buy that vehicle personally. And the reason being is if you buy it in the business and 50% of its use is personal, you're actually going to have to pay a taxable benefit for the use of that business vehicle. Meaning that if you buy a $50,000 car, every single year you're driving that car, you're going to get hit with this massive tax bill, which we obviously don't want. If you were to buy it personally, instead of have the business buy it, you can actually charge mileage for all of the business use. Mm -hmm. So right now, I think it's 58 cents a kilometer. So for every kilometer you drive, you can charge your business or deduct 58 cents per kilometer, uh, which if you're driving, you know, a thousand kilometers, a month, which isn't very much, that's $580 that you get as a deduction in your business. And that will hopefully pay for, you know, gas insurance and your car payment. So again, just structuring that in a different way. I just want to clarify, because again, not a money person. So we'd have for leasing a vehicle up to 800 that we a month that we could deduct. Correct. That's a lot. So my car's beat up. I'll say that up front. My car is very beat up. I don't baby cars. I don't care much about cars that get me to A to B. Yep. Leasing might be a good option in our case. Leasing would be a good option. I like, honestly, I feel like if anybody wants to continue to upgrade their car and just assume paying for it forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you always have something reliable, especially with a young one at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you might want the reliable vehicle for every 48 months to just get the next model or whatever, it's also going to be less than a finance payment. So, you know, from a cash flow standpoint and keeping as much of your money as you can, as a short-term strategy, leasing makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, Bob, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know who we are supported by. Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. If you heard us say it once, you've heard us say it a hundred times. These are the best looking clothes you'll ever buy for your children. They are, and they believe in quality over quantity. They make the best basics for your littles, and really, they're fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid, really regardless of gender. It's true, although Lucy is going to have such a hard time giving these up to Betty. Oh, she absolutely will. She is complete- ownership over it (laughs) she does and every piece is made with organic cotton fabric that are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes now what does the acronym gots stand for we'll talk about that later because there is exciting (laughs) news mini miage just launched their knit collection which includes organic merino wool upcycled polar fleece and sherpa fleece and they've also relaunched the fan favorite fleece varsity and biker rompers which is a staple in our house especially with betty 
were obsessed with putting Betty in them. Well, because it's easy to put on too. And as any parent knows, that is of high importance. Of course. And Minnie Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So to help out and to purchase something really beautiful, go online to miniemiosh.com or at miniemiosh on Instagram and Facebook. Use the promo code thisfamilytree15 and you'll get 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and the U.S. Again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. But we are also supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really, really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as difficult. Want to know something embarrassing? What? I used to use another brand of diaper for our children. Ooh. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun robots rotating designs and get them all to your house and they they come on it like a monthly system it's amazing and even the box is fun the box they like we had a lemonade stand we had a spaceship one box looked like what's the 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 christmas one is a gingerbread house so everything is so usable the products are plant-based they think of everything they truly are amazing each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers four packs of plant-based wipes and even one full-size product freebie with your first order plus you can get 15 percent off of any add-ons So the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler, they have a ton to choose from and everything is so high quality. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. Again, that's hellobello.ca promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. So don't forget that's hellobello.ca promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. And now let's get back to our interview with Bob. So it seems like the best tip is just to go to you, Bob, and the team. Because <laughs> a lot of this stuff, it honestly, it hurts my brain yeah. to, to have it with me all the time. But is there any other tip that someone should know before they go see someone like you to get the wheels in motions now? so they can get the payoff later? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I just recently just recorded an online course. Mm-hmm. I haven't released it yet, but I'll maybe this will be the first time I'm talking about it publicly. It's exciting. We essentially went out and we created 70 frequently asked questions on all those topics. And because there's so many questions that people need to get answered and they don't necessarily want to go and pay someone like me, you know, $500 an hour. We're off the clock right now, right? And pick my brain where they might be able to get 70 different FAQs that they can essentially pull all the knowledge from. So we just, we essentially just did that. I think though, you know, for the purposes of this conversation, vehicles is always going to be an interesting conversation. I think RSPs are going to be a good option. Mm -hmm. If you're an employee who's earning a salary working for someone else, make RSP contributions. They're going to make a whole lot of sense. If you have any non-registered investments, make sure that they get into a tax-free savings account so you don't pay tax on them. If you're a business owner, there's a whole nother realm of tax planning. And if you're a business owner, RSPs probably won't be a a good idea. So if Mm -hmm. that's the case, there's more complexity there. 
you know, definitely talk to a professional advisor, whether it's me or whether it's someone else, go get that guidance because whatever you're going to have to pay for professional fees and professional guidance, you're going to save that in the first year and benefit from that in the long run. That makes sense. So there's lots of, there's lots of different ideas. Again, I think it's really tailored to the individual circumstance of how to maximize the value, but, you know, looking at an online course or, or looking at maybe different forums that you can jump into jumping on podcasts where there's experts that come in and and share information you know i think that's getting the idea that there's opportunity for you to save by investing in someone Mm -hmm. like me i think is the first step right let's get some knowledge let's understand what's available to us then let's meet with bob and figure out how we put it all together your online course you're talking about with all the 70 asked questions when when is that coming out how much does it cost Yeah. Great question. I have no idea how much it's going to cost yet. We're going to try and make it so that it's very affordable for everybody. I know all the videos are done. I actually just got sent them on Friday. So I'm hoping it's going to be ready within the next, you know, two, three weeks. Oh, amazing. That's great. Yeah. So if if uh, if anyone's interested, we'll probably have it on our social at Govro CPA, um, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. We'll have that information out there and, and available to buy real soon. Could you spell that for us? Yes. So Govro, it's totally sounds different than how you would spell it. So it's G-A-U-V-R-E-A-U and that's C-P-A. Um, govrocpa.ca or at govrocpa on any of our social channels. Amazing. So everyone should go uh, check that out. Uh, I think that's good for me. That's that's great for me. We need that course. And Bob, you came on this saying that you felt like a rock star. And honestly, money people and math people in our life are rock stars. So thank you so, so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. All right. You have a good one. Thank you. you Bye-bye. That was Bob. See, I feel like we are going to be rich now. I feel like we're going to, even if, you know, what he said isn't sticking in our brains right now, we can just go replay this before taxis and take notes and just come out no, millionaires. we just hire him. We just, we just, just get a, a, no wad, middleman. a wad of cash. We go, Bob, catch. Throw it at him. He goes, I got you. Then he throws us a bigger wad on our return or whatever it is. I don't know. I like know. the plan. I like the plan and I'm in for it. Because he seemed to think that tax returns are good, which I like because I'm always like anytime I get a big check, not that I ever have, but I think I got once one year I got one that was $500. Well, for me, awesome. that was like, I felt like I was rich. Yeah. That's, I think my biggest return was around that too. Speaking of returns, we're about to give the audience a treat. And this is Ooh. Alex answering listener questions and me chipping in with my two cents like i always <laughs> give a disclaimer now my two cents might not be worth much but i'm trying here because i have not heard these questions so should math and or science be optional subjects a child has to learn after grade eight it's actually it was hard for me to find legit studies on this from sources that i trusted but i did find a lot of smart people talking about this and after reading everything i say yes absolutely i don't think that people should maybe be forced to take advanced math like functions i mean i would die and that would make me so unconfident but i think that they need to rethink the math curriculum and force kids in high school to take practical maths like finances and budgeting and taxes so that there's a baseline financial literacy because I do not have, I'm working on my financial literacy right now. I did not have that in high school at all, but I'm not the only one. A lot of people don't. And even if a lot of kids, you know, 
have to learn about different things in regards to money when it comes to you know insurances and taxes and things like that they have no idea so why can't we have some kind of practical math that is mandatory in high school to help set up these kids for you know being contributing citizens doing what's best for them for their families and helping to set them up so that they're less reliant on systems that we have in place i don't think society wants us to do that because then it would take away all these ways we're getting screwed right if there if like a hundred percent of the population knew all these tax things and tax places would go out of business and well look 2021 is the year of the people maybe it's time a teacher start advocating for a more practical math curriculum they're all part of society <laughs> but i do think a basic understanding of math and science allows people like i said of course everyone would think that but society doesn't want you to know that well here's the thing for society to continue existing, we need people with basic understandings in math, in science, so that they can, you know, vote properly and help the government make decisions on things like climate change, economic policies, things like that going forward. And then if you don't take science, if you have no basic understanding of biology or something, then you're going to get sucked into the Kyrie Irving flat earth theory to the lizard people conspiracy or to creationism. Kyrie didn't invent flat earth. He was kind of No, but he, he was, was the spokes he was the spokes guy. No, he wasn't. He didn't even believe it anymore. <laughs> but yeah, math too, I think. So like I'm a very you know, what is it, left brain person? Like I'm very literature, arts, things like that. Math I have a really hard time with. But I appreciate, you know, having taken math and taking it in high school because it helped me to think in a different way. It's like very abstract thinking, problem solving. And had I not been forced to do that, like I, my skills in that regard would be so much worse than they currently are. So I think it is so good in high school when this is a time when you can, you know, be encouraged to learn things that you're not good at to go for it and have that foundation. I don't think math helped me at all, one iota, but I do think it would have helped me if it, they did it in the way that you're saying, which is the life skills type of mm -hmm. math, the mortgage, learn that sort of thing, how to save money, would a what a tax-free savings account does, an RRSP, whatever. It's just, the, as is, the math was complete BS in, in my school. <laughs> I, I, everything I knew, I, I learned in grade 8. And, like I'm, I, and I'm not bad at, like, quick math. No, see, and my quick math is okay, but it gives me so much anxiety. But I have never talked about parabolas since high school. I think there was something to do with parabolas on a Tool album. Parabolas and then right aren't now, helping nobody. No, they're not helping nobody. So there you go. Math in a different form, so mandatory. Let's do that. Let's make it mandatory. I think I just did a double negative, which might mean there, I don't know. It's a math thing. <laughs> Maybe you do need more practice. All right, next question. Shane, this one is pretty much for you. How does the financial side of podcasting work? I see a lot of people starting them these days. Yeah, I think the podcast explosion is here. Everyone's doing it. Uh, most podcasts, I would say, don't make a dime, nor should they, because when you start out, you don't get any listenership. Mm -hmm. It takes a while. I think a, a year is a good time to start trying to make some money, but you pretty much you have to reach out to sponsors yourself unless you're Kim Kardashian, and then you'll get inundated with sponsors coming after you. But as a general rule, I would say only align with partners that you like and partners you like aren't going to reach out to you because they're so well respected typically that it's not like fab fit fun or whatever it is that comes after 
everyone to sponsor it. You know what I mean? No offense to FabFitFun. I don't even know what the F that is. But the way, the model to do it is to reach out to the company. And then, you know, hopefully your pitch is good enough that the company sees some value in it. And if like-minded people listen to your podcast, they're probably going to enjoy the same products that you're promoting. And then if you attach a promo code to it, the sponsor who you solicited can see whether or not it gets results. Yeah. So don't get into it thinking you're going to get rich. But if you enjoy it and have a long-term goal, then it can be some extra fun cash. Uh, Next question. What is the harshest criticism you have ever received? So kind of recently, maybe about five months ago, I had somebody give me a really thought out long message uh, about why I am a bad mom and it was following me putting up a story on Instagram about feeling overwhelmed having Betty and having Lucy run around because Lucy was really struggling at that time she was having a lot of tantrums and the woman basically accused me of causing Lucy's bad behavior and her tantrums and blamed me for not dealing with the switch from one to two kids well enough into bringing down the well-being of my family. And that hit me so hard because I do know that, you know, my mood has an impact on the kids. I know that. I see that every day. If I'm happy, the kids are happy. If I'm upset or short-tempered or something, then Lucy's going to be looking for attention. She's going to be having a hard time dealing with that. And so that really... As much as I would like to tell myself, like, oh, this is bullshit. This lady's just being mean. Like, it really, really, really hurt me. And that was, uh, yeah, that was really awful. What about you? Jeez, hmm, I'm surprised that actually hurt you because it's such a troll move that woman was but, doing. It. Yeah, but I was in such a, a state of being overwhelmed and exhausted and unsure. I Like, motherhood is being always unsure of yourself and then getting over that and learning something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so she really just caught me in a moment of being so unsure of things sorry to hear that (laughs) she's blocked first sir what's the question again what is the harshest criticism you've ever received okay harshest Uh, what do i get a lot i don't people are usually pretty nice to my face online if they are going to troll me it's so trolltastic that you can't even take it seriously what about like at work have you or in a relationship have you ever received criticism that was hard to swallow no everything's been so mean that i can't even take it seriously (laughs) and like if you look at online anytime i i do anything you know there'll be a, a large contingent of people just making fun of how dumb i am i guess that yeah once i put a comedic thing well i'm I'm calling it comedic a lot of people would disagree i put it into a reddit forum this skit i did thinking it was funny and these people just ripped me apart <laughs> And like truthful stuff, it was probably very accurate, but that hurt me a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you, anyone looks at the Hayden Christensen digital dessert, uh, <laughs> YouTube that, try to find a complimentary comment on that. But it was, it was, those a, ones don't bother you, do they? Oh, I, a little bit, just because like I understand that some people can not see the humor in it, but for almost a hundred percent of the people. <laughs> Not to see the humor in it, kind of like, you know, the people have their say in in comedy. Mind you, it's a bunch of hating Christians and fans commenting who don't necessarily have the most with it, ironic sense of humor in the world. There might be three positive comments, but yeah, I I do get discouraged rather than feeling like, ouch, (laughs) that's harsh. I just feel like, oh, I'm unfunny and talentless. Yeah. 
Matt, no, that's always hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I see that. I don't agree, but I know that feeling so well, and it's it's the worst feeling, you know, and I hate that these, like, losers online hiding behind computers can make you feel like that just for something that you worked really hard on. Yeah, and, you know, maybe they're right, and I don't want to call them losers because... Well, I'm only saying losers because they're being mean. Yeah, but maybe it's in some ways accurate. Maybe that you can turn that into positivity somehow. All right. No, I like that's a positive way of looking at it. But the next question. What did you enjoy most about having a COVID Christmas? I have social anxiety. Going to a Christmas party can really fuck with my mind. Mm -hmm. So sometimes like a couple hours before Christmas party, I'll want to back out. I'll want to not go. I'll, I'll want to see the people just as much as I don't want to see the people. I I fear nothing more than small talk mm -hmm. with someone I'm not 100% comfortable with. Sometimes a person's house, you get caught into a conversation with someone and you just, I guess the only way out is to say, I have to use the washroom or pretend you're going to a cheese tray or something. <laughs> Sometimes you can't. And my nightmare is being caught in those scenarios. Thank God for the cheese trays. But yeah, with you, I am so happy that there were like no obligations. That was the best. Very quiet. We didn't really have to drive places. That was amazing. And secondly, Shane and I took up cross-country skiing because we put all of our work on the back burner and we just tried to make the most fun that we could have together at home and with the girls. And it was amazing. And Shane is a guy who hates winter sports. He does not know how to ice skate. He's 37 and a Canadian, yet he indulged me every single day. And it made me so happy. And I was like the happiest freaking camper out there skiing every day. It well, was amazing. I was trying to give you an extra Christmas gift because mine were so shoddy <laughs> this year. And you did so well. Like even looking down, look at the slippers I'm wearing. These are amazing slippers. Oh, yeah, I got you in some. Oh, babe, not even that. So you're wearing the house slippers I got you. You're drinking the special Merit Brewery beer I got you out of the special Merit Brewery beer glass that I got you. It's delicious. It's amazing. I feel like a king. What's the next question? <laughs> okay. Ooh, I like this one. How do some women not know that they're pregnant until they go through labor? So I thought this was a total myth. Shane, have you heard about these instances? Yeah, and the only thing I could wrap my head around it was that the women were so large that they couldn't tell they were pregnant. Okay, so... Is that true? No. Okay. So I, you know, two people come to mind. Peggy from Mad Men was in this situation, as well as a girl that I am friends with was in this situation and she is a twig because people carry babies in a different way like you yeah. carried lucy very sneaky yeah you couldn't really tell until right before no i know so it's insane i didn't know that this could actually happen then when the woman that i know went through it i was like holy geez louise like i would never have known she was pregnant but it's called a cryptic pregnancy or denied pregnancy and it's a phenomenon that is very real as crazy as it sounds it's a very real phenomenon whereby women don't become consciously aware of their pregnancy or they deny that it's actually a reality until the last weeks of gestation or in some cases right up until they give birth so they know it's happening but they deny it no no here well possibly sometimes they just don't know that they're pregnant at all so they don't know what's happening until but in some cases they do but pretend it's not and they're so good at pretending that they actually convince them well because they might have some symptoms but then not enough symptoms and they're like oh no couldn't be pregnant or don't want to be pregnant or this can't be happening and then 
there's some I'm not sure we could get a psychologist on the show to talk about this. That'd be fascinating. But there is something that's stopping them from accepting it as a reality and their brains don't accept it as a reality until they're actually, you know, feeling the kids kicks or going into labor. So when you're having a cryptic pregnancy, there's nothing that sets off the chain of events that's like, oh, I need to pee on a stick and find out that I'm pregnant. So a pregnancy test might even come back negative after you've missed your period. And you might dismiss early pregnancy symptoms for like indigestion or the flu, which is wild to me because I was so, so sick that I I just, I can't picture it. Like I can't picture that. But I do know, obviously, that not everybody gets sick in their first trimester. But for me, where I have a hard time wrapping my head around this is when you're growing, your belly's growing. And not only that, but you are feeling kicks from the baby and you can see the baby moving and kicking in the elbow. You know what I mean? Like you'd be feeling the baby. Yeah. But what if you're a person in a larger body who it's not as significant? The woman I know was not. She Hmm. was in a a smaller body barely put on any weight i think she put on 10 pounds the entire pregnancy yeah i have no idea what it's like to be pregnant all i know is you become very uh not bitchy but get out of here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so so apparently also some women have low levels of pregnancy hormones that can make symptoms really hard to notice and fluctuating hormones can lead to very light periods so it's like oh maybe i'm just having lighter periods for these months whatever But some women also obviously have very irregular periods, especially those people who are highly active, who are very athletic or have PCOS. And that can lead to, you know, it's just like if you miss a period, then it's not it's not a huge deal. You know, there's not great sources on this because it is a difficult thing to establish. Is somebody having cryptic pregnancy or are they having a denied pregnancy? Do they want to admit it was a denied pregnancy? It's very hard to study. Well, I find whoever denied it typically supplied it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's not a fart. It's a baby. (laughs) But as wild as all of this is, it's way more common than you would think. I was shocked when I read these numbers. So again, because these sources aren't good. One source that I read said it occurs in one in every 2,500 pregnancies. Oh, my mom still denies she was pregnant. (laughs) But then... Another source, and this source was pretty good from what to expect, they said it happens in one in every 475 pregnancies. Again, this is like, it, this is mind-blowing that it could happen. So again, it's a real phenomenon. I don't understand it. It's really hard for me to understand it, but it happens. It does. There's yeah. a lot of strange things that happen out there. Wow. Yeah, weirder things. Good research. Thank you. All right, so the next question. Shane, another one for you. Shane. Would you like to work permanently from home, and is that even an option? I think any job in the creative field, pretty much, you can work from home, and that's the beauty of the job. Most of the time, they like you in an office, previously, of course, in the before times, due to optics, and that's just so the boss can see that you're physically sitting down. The ideology is if I can see you, you're more likely to be working, and creative types tend to be a little bit more wild, and maybe they'll go out drinking and party and then say they're working from home but really they're recovering from a hangover but nowadays i think a lot of employers have realized because of this forced covid times that you can be more productive working mm. from home and i think it's changed the way a lot of workspaces are operating and my uh, my friend he worked at shopify he still does actually but they changed the office culture 
there. The the owner who had put so much money and effort into making the office culture fun with ping pong tables, free breakfast, lunch, you know, you can grab a Red Bull whenever you want at no charge. So what the CEO of Shopify decided was that even though he put in all this effort to creating an office culture that was fun and inclusive so everyone is playing ping pong with each other in video games and VR and having the free lunch and the free breakfast. Uh, he said office centricity is dead. Hmm. And uh, because he realized during COVID times, people can function at a high level from home. So now everyone seems to be taking that lead and realizing that certain professions can work better in a lot of cases from home. And I think my particular personality type happens to function better from home. I put pressure on myself to perform because once I'm at work, it's almost like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> the I, guess, done. <laughs> I guess I can slack off because I'm here. And then at home, it's like, fuck, I'm home. I better be producing. Yeah. No, and you work your ass off at home too. And it's, I like being able to see you throughout the day, even though you're at work and just like, you know, stealing a kiss when you're coming in the kitchen to get something from the fridge or whatnot. It's, it's nice. But next question. Do you ever let Lucy have screen time on an iPad or an iPhone? So I think Lucy's only used like a device like that once. And that's when we were in Florida for vacation last Christmas. But she's, yeah, like I'll show her pictures on my iPhone or videos sometimes, like if we're on the move or something like that. But she doesn't play games on that if that is what this asker is asking for. However, we do let Lucy watch TV. So she does have screen time in the form of television. Like she watches movies. She loves movies. She loves her shows like well, Peppa Wiggles. I'm going to stop you right there because I wake Lucy up in the morning mm -hmm. and sometimes we will play Angry Birds for the first hour. You do not. No, we don't. No. Shane, you made my heart sink for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Something about Lou playing Angry Birds I thought would be funnier. But. Oh boy. So yeah, so we know obviously everybody knows screen time in general has been proven. It's proven not to be a good thing for your kids. It can contribute to delayed language and speech, fractured attention spans, poor sleep quality, and it can desensitize the brain's reward system. And it causes bleeding gums. Get out of here. No pity laugh. But yeah, so with the desensitized brain reward system, I thought this was interesting. So this happens when there's too much dopamine being released and then the rewards pathways in your brain are being overused. So this leads to your kids needing way more stimulation during the day and to remain happy in everyday life because their brains become so dependent on this actual chemical reaction that happens. It's scary stuff. I got, I got all that information, by the way, from a psychologist named Kim Null. So... I mean, minimize... That's the problem with like cocaine, right? It's too fun mm -hmm. and then life seems boring. I guess. So it's the same. It's like cocaine for kids. Crack mm -hmm. cocaine for kids. It's like an iPad, right? With games on it. Yeah. So you want to make sure that your kid isn't getting too much screen time. If I was going to say no screen time, I'd be a hypocrite because again, Lucy loves to watch TV. But does she do it all day? No. And most of the time that she's watching it, I'd say she's passively watching it. It's like on the background while she's doing other stuff and playing other games. Well, she has dishes to wash, so she knows that <laughs> there's chores to be done. We run a tight ship here. But yeah, make sure that really, especially if it's totally engaging them and they're totally active in it, 
that you are taking the precautions that you need to. So set a timer, give them a specific limit, talk to your doctor, find out what the rules are where you live because they sometimes differ. And when devices are not being used, this same psychologist, Kim Nall, recommends that parents actually physically remove the devices from the kids and put them somewhere that's inaccessible so that the kids cannot touch them and they are totally out of the way. The kids aren't thinking about them, anything like that. Like they have hard rules on this and it is serious stuff. But again, like sometimes it, it is so serious that like I'm even nervous about the TV we watches and like I'm scared to look into it even more than I already have. Well, I watched TV so much as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wish I had His more. His brain works fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had a point, but I got distracted. <laughs> all right, next question. What is the most adventurous thing you've ever done? Okay, so mine, I will start. It's a tie between starting a family, choosing to start a family, because that is a wild adventure, so full of unknowns, and lasts your entire freaking life. And the second is when I was 22, I bought a ticket into Berlin, and then I bought a ticket home from Madrid a month later. And two weeks after I bought my tickets, I flew down for the month. I hadn't booked anything else other than my very first night in Berlin. And I just played an entire month overseas by year and just kind of did whatever. That's like, very cool. It was, yeah. very, it was very adventurous in the sense of like actually going on an adventure. Like I had my backpack. I like, you know, went over to the airport and I just embarked on this crazy adventure where I didn't know what the next day was going to hold. I am not a traveling type of person. I get scared once I leave my doorway. <laughs> but I went to Africa with my job. We went to Ghana and we gave bicycles out to children as part of a Cadbury initiative. And that was something I volunteered via email to do. And just sending the email, it took me a long time to just, really? hit, to just hit send because I had a feeling I would get picked for, mm-hmm. this, for this job. Because it was a pretty good fit as uh, one of the reasons that they were even doing this was because my best friend's band was heading down to uh, Ghana to hand out bicycles to the kids. Mm-hmm. And I was actually documenting it. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was a big adventure. We also had a, a two-day stopover, two or three days in Amsterdam. That sounds very intentional. Yeah, it was intentional. <laughs> but it was adventurous mm-hmm. and... I'm, you know, like I said off the top of the pot, I don't really smoke weed. I like the idea of it. And I got chased by a street thug hooligan, a soccer hooligan chased me. <laughs> I was joking around with him and I, I, he took it the wrong way and he chased us and we ran into a cab and then he chased the cab and I thought I was going to be beaten to death. That's like straight out of Eurotrip, that movie. Yeah, yeah. it was. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, it was pretty adventurous. Did no, you sounds- fart in the middle of that story? No. Oh. So serious, Alex. It, no. You swear on Lucy's life? Swear on Lucy's life. I'm only laughing because this is all funny. Why? Do you smell something? No. The only thing that stinks is you're lying. I'm not lying. I promise. I'm, this is just funny. Okay. <laughs> Cut that. But I didn't. Okay. Our, fi- <laughs> our final question. Is dating a friend's ex out of the question? What are the rules? So I look at this. It's nuanced. Every situation is different. You cannot approach the same situation, you know, with the same mindset. There, But there are no set rules. 
So you need to talk to the said friend. How involved was their relationship? What was their relationship like? How much did they love each other? How long was it? Consider all these things. Talk to your possibly would-be lover about it. What are their feelings with this thing going on? So how significant was it? And then will it ruin the friendship? And if, if it, it ruins will, the friendship, it's not no, but here, worth but, it. No, well, here's the thing. If it will ruin the friendship. I mean, if, the friendship's not worth it. Yeah, but if it's an inevitable that it will... Are you cool with that? Are you cool to choose this person? Like, is this person so important to you that you're willing to lose a friendship over it? I don't want to have a friend who's not going to let me pursue my love interests. Yeah. And if the relationship's over, the relationship's over. Why would you want a friend not to fall I in know, love? I know, but some, some this people... This has happened to my very close friends. But here's the thing, then And possibly... they were upset initially, but they got over it, and now they're married and have a beautiful child. Who? Oh, right. Well, here's the thing, because if your friend is dating your ex, it can just, and it was a hard breakup for you or your friend, it can be a constant reminder of, you know, maybe they didn't want that that breakup to happen. So it could be a constant reminder of what they're missing and what they lost. And that can be really hard. Well, all is fair in love and war. (laughs) But anyhow, I would say there are no hard and fast rules unless kids are involved and like you're going to end up being like a step parent to your best friend's kids and that crosses lines wait what well if kids are involved and you're like dating your ex's sorry and you're dating your best friend's ex-husband and like they have kids together that's weird and that is overstepping so i'd say if you're younger or if you're not younger and you're our age or you're older and there are no kids you're cool but if there are kids, don't do it. I don't That's know. That's the only rule. I want everyone to find their person. I love love. I love the pursuit of it. I do think all things are fair in love. And I, like, you know, I've broken up with, and then my friend was with the girl the next week. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> uh, a b- I think right after we broke up. <laughs> like, in, in the house I was living in. And I was in the basement, and he was, like, upstairs with <laughs> her. Oh boy, Walsh anyway, that's it. Well, what an episode. I mean, bringing in the new year in the best way possible. Thank you for all the gifts, Alex. Thank you for doing this podcast with me. Uh, We've got some fun stuff lined up for this year. I mean, Alex is writing a book for God's sake. Most importantly, thank you for giving us a five-star rating audience. Not that you are, because I know that it's hard to figure that out, really. (laughs) But if you could, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode 67.